Welcome to Hooplecast. I'm your host, Matt, and joining me are my newbie co-hosts. Carol. Matt. Mel. And we're a bunch of Hoopleheads. Well, it's only been uh, a week since we last chatted. Again, it's the Matt, it's your fault for being born and having to have a party. I mean, everyone has a birthday uh, every year. You're not special. I don't know why you had to disrupt our schedule to accommodate this. Uh, it wasn't just his birthday. He had to share. Yeah, I had to share with my grandmother. And your, oh. your like, second cousin or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jeez, that's no fun. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we have a guest this week. Was welcome to the podcast. His first appearance, though you've heard him before, uh, when he sent in feedback. Welcome to Hooplecast, Hasso. Yay! Hey, hey Hasso. You're so famous. Really? <laughs> 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 now it's really good to be um, speak to you guys, obviously live. So um, yeah, thank you. Uh, tell us where you're from. I'm from Sydney, Australia. And it is seven in the morning. It is seven Australia. in the morning. Um, not only is it seven in the morning, it's seven on a Monday morning. So very different atmospheres, I'm sure, to um, a Sunday afternoon where you guys are. You have the whole. I'm jealous. You have the whole day ahead of you. What's the future? <laughs> What's the future like? Yeah. What is the future like? Let's <laughs> <laughs> be cloudy with a little bit of rain. That's about all I can say for the moment. Okay. Sydney is a beautiful city. I enjoyed going there uh, several times. So they kicked you out. So they said, get the fuck out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Actually, um, because I did my third year of university there, I was with a bunch of Americans, and they wanted to go to Sydney for Mardi Gras, and I didn't realize it was the gay and lesbian Mardi Gras until, God, there's a lot of drag queens walking down the street. (laughs) Yeah, that's the default meaning of um, Mardi Gras um, Uh around here, that's for sure. And what was and what really impressed me is when it was over, we went and we got some food, and like an hour later, the streets were clean. I was like, "Wow, what? this is amazing! Like this city is wow. really clean." Now, maybe you don't think so living there, but to an outsider, it was a very pristine-looking city for its size. So maybe you'll disagree. I don't know. So what people pick up after themselves, or they just have like a cleaning crew? Uh, they have like a cleaning crew just come in and clean up all the glitter. Because I mean, come on, it's a gay and lesbian Mardi Gras. There was a there was a hell of a lot of glitter. I, do, I pity the cleaning crew then, because <laughs> glitter is the herpes of crafting. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a saying. Uh, <laughs> it is. Hasso, are you a new viewer to Deadwood, or are you a veteran viewer? Well, um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a veteran. I think I quickly transitioned into a, into a veteran over the um, last maybe four months or so. So um began watching, I think, maybe oh, about four or five months ago, and... Um, end up getting uh, I think I was through maybe the one and a half seasons and caught hold of your your podcast and um that was some really good value but, you know, helping to kind of consolidate and some um clarify some of the things that you know the language sometimes a little bit tough um but then yeah got through the whole whole series so um yep became a veteran I think well good without give, giving um any real embellishment of your opinions why don't you rank the seasons for me I'm just curious oh hard um Oh, look, I think I'd say the third season. Oh, look, the first season's probably third, third, first season's the best. Second one almost as good as the first, and then um, then the third. So yeah, they're, they're all like the quality is all the way through. I couldn't really kind of fault any any one from the other. So um, yeah, very close. Mm, that's I, that, and, uh, I think, yeah, compared to some like some other series uh, I've seen where. You, Kind of the first one's really good, and then they kind of um, flatten out and get a bit boring after that 
um, Deadwood's really kept that that quality up. Language is getting a little more complex and difficult mm. in the third season, don't you? Do you guys find that to be true? Yeah. Yeah? I find it's been pretty complicated throughout. Okay. I'm hearing more and more Shakespeare callbacks, just in general. Yeah. I, I think it becomes more complicated, uh, so maybe on a first watch, it's a little more impenetrable, but on a rewatch, it's more rewarding, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, that's exactly what's happened with me, too. Um, yeah, first time around, you think you get it, and then um, you're able just to go, go over it a few times, and it can sink in. And do you have a favorite character so far? Just keeping in mind that we're only uh, just started the third season? Yeah, look, my ca- character was um, he was killed off pretty early. It was Wild Bill. Um, really? And Yes, yes. And look, being, being Australian, um, I wasn't going to be spoiled at all with that, because um, obviously no real understanding of the history, no learnings of the history. Um, so when, um, you know, his death came along, even though he had that kind of foreboding feeling leading up to it, it was still a shock um, overall that, you know, geez, this guy, he's, he's gone this early on in the season. Um, I think what I liked about him was, I like those, like, he's a, he's a heroic character, but he's got, he's got his issues, he's got his problems that he has to kind of internalize and, and work with. So I always gravitate to those kind of um, characters. So. Yeah, I really it's, liked uh, Wild Bill. It's funny that they kind of mention that this episode, they kind of talk about his problems. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Charlie brings it up. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we have Reader's Theater for this episode. It's not the one that I intended to play because the person I sent it to, though they had months to record it, did not do it in time, despite my <laughs> incessant warnings. <laughs> Illyrio. Uh so <laughs> I will I have fortunately I've got some backup recordings uh, in the in an event such as this. So I am going to play one from Randall as soon as I cue it up. The following news items appeared in the Black Hills Daily Times, January 18th, 1879, June 4th, 1879, and August 31st, 1880. Gentlemen, You may just as well hang up your harps on a willow tree. It is now nearly Saturday night, the most cheerful of all nights of the week to a laboring man. There is a nice young man in town who would not be seen in a saloon for anything, who smokes opium like a house on fire. You will have another opportunity tomorrow to brace up the religious element in you. There will be divine services at two places upon that occasion, providence permitting. The condition of Judge J.R. Whitehead's health is such as to alarm his friends. He is now at the Cheyenne, and the leader of that place, under date of the 14th, says he is growing considerably worse. Johnny Cooley is turning his spare moments to horticultural pursuits and has some very fine specimens of turnips in full bloom in his saloon. The old landmark, the Osborne Building, was yesterday drawn out of the main street, and now the street is clear. An individual laboring under an overdose of budge was seen laying on a pile of lumber on Lee Street yesterday courting Nature's Sweet Restorer. General K.K. Cunningham, in a recent speech before the Boolean Club, says there are 83 towns in the Black Hills. Where are they, General? The sidewalk in front of the First National Bank is sadly in need of repairs. If left in its present condition, it may cause some bones to be broken. A very rich pocket has been struck in claim number four below Discovery in Whitewood. Dirt prospecting $1 to the pan was taken out yesterday. It is singular how fastidious some people are. We know of a gentleman in this city, an actor by profession, who recently quit his boarding house because he found a mouse in his pudding. Billy Nuttall, manager of the Theater Comique at Leadville, 
sent us a number of programs on which we noticed the names of several performers at the Old Bella Union while under Billy's management. Thing is big, no doubt. Mr. and Mrs. H. H. Mund, at their residence on Ingleside, entertained a couple of dozen of their young friends on Saturday. The affair was a very pleasant one for both Mr. and Mrs. Mund and their children. H. F. Talbot, our enterprising musical instrument dealer, now has a large stock of pianos and organs on hand and a large invoice en route from the east. Those needing instruments tuned can find Mr. Talbot at Bent and Deacon's Drugstore. Bishop Warren will deliver at the St. Paul's M.E. Church at Central next Friday evening the same lecture he gave at the Evans Courthouse last Saturday evening, namely, The Forces in a Sunbeam. A small admission of 50 cents will be charged. The citizens of Deadwood and vicinity will have another opportunity of listening to one of Bishop Warren's astronomical lectures. Tomorrow evening, he will discourse on a serial subject, A Trip to the Stars. What can be more delightful to the imagination than such an inspiring subject? With the rapid advancements already made in the different departments of science and mechanics, it might not be presumption to entertain the idea of an electric railroad or some other equal accommodating mode of modern transportation from the Earth to some of the celestial bodies. For a more amplified description of the mode of transportation, attend the Bishop's Lecture at the Evans Courthouse tomorrow evening, admission 50 cents. If there is anything particularly interesting about this issue of the Times, it can be attributed to the fact that both telegraph lines are down. There is a washout on the Union Pacific Railroad east of Sydney that has prevented any eastern mail from reaching us for the last two days. Locals are scarce and we're up a stump. We promise to do better as soon as we can, and that is all. <laughs> is that all, really? <laughs> that is oh, great. a locomotive to the stars. An electric locomotive oh, to yeah. the stars, no less. What I think is hilarious is like how he knows like everybody's personal business. <laughs> yeah. Like like oh yeah, they, this couple entertained a bunch of children the other day. I, I was, was like, peering through their window. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's definitely covered the A to Z, hasn't he? He's gone from John Cooley's turnips to a trip to the stars. That <laughs> feedback needed more cowbell. Uh, the cowbell <laughs> was amazing. Yeah, that <laughs> was really good. <laughs> that was his edition, not mine. Uh, that was he really did a nice job on that. Yeah, he did. <laughs> I like the guy who smokes opium like a house on fire. <laughs> yeah. So, what was that that was in the had been in the middle of the street and it was taken out? It sounded like a building fell fell down. Yeah, it, that's what it sounded like to me too. And then this guy uh, laboring under an overdose of budge. I'm assuming budge is bud marijuana. Oh, nature's sweet restorer. I like that. Well, he, I like he, that was laying, he was laying outside. He was in a pile of lumber. <laughs> yeah, I I wasn't sure whether the sun was nature's sweet restorer or what. I'm pretty sure it was the marijuana. It was the budge? The budge, the bud. He was token. This, bu- <laughs> this budge for you. <laughs> Lame. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's see, what else? I wrote down a couple notes about what these things mean. Bullion club. It's an organization involved in the selling, buying, trading of metals or coins, currencies. Makes sense. And uh, the harps on a willow tree that references a psalm, Psalm 137, referring to when uh, Jews were captive in Babylon, they would put their harps in in trees. Well, they wouldn't like literally do that. They would put them aside because they didn't want to sing because they were captives. Hmm. Then their captors would say, Take out your harps and and play about the songs of Zion. We we want you to entertain us while we uh, work you to death. 
<laughs> that, I like that random grouping of headlines. I assume local headlines. Yeah. Is it headlines or is it? It's just local is it musings. A, is it one article with a bunch of musings? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's kind of like the gossip page almost. Yeah. Mm. Oh, what's going on in town? Mm. What a bunch of crazy characters. Oh, now I wish. Oh, I'm really hoping that you found like a Dear Abby type of like. <laughs> oh, an advice columnist? Um, yes. <laughs> I, at the end there, we were saying if there's anything uh, peculiarly interesting about this issue of the Times, um, it could be attributed to the fact both telegraph lines are down. Is that saying they had to come up with a whole heap of stuff because they don't have any other up-to-date news? Or Yeah, I think that's pretty much what they were saying. Mm-hmm. That it was basically all local news, because usually they have a few stories from what's happening in New York City and what's happening... In, you, you know, places that matter. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's sad. We don't matter. You you live in South Dakota. You don't matter. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> in in say the, the 1800s. Now you do. Sure you do. No, you don't. Um. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for reading that, Randall. Thank, thank you. you. You did a fantastic job. And yeah. if you want to hear more from him, you can look him up on the Grawlix podcast at grawlixpodcast.com, huh. which is a looks like a sci-fi inspired podcast there's a couple episodes about doctor who oh cool and comics i don't watch doctor who i don't read comics but i'm sure the podcast is fantastic if you do those things i don't read comics but i do watch doctor who yeah maybe one of these days i'll finally it's it's good finally watch it This is episode 26, I Am Not the Fine Man You Take Me For, written by David Milch and Regina Corrado, directed by Dan Atias. Atias? Sorry, I don't know. What is it? Maybe Atias? Atias? Sorry, Dan, we don't know how to pronounce your surname. Original air date, June 18th, 2006. It is the middle of the night. Al lies awake in bed as a man climbs the hustings. He is shouting. He came to camp to try his luck in the streams, but he ended up losing what he had to gambling and whoring. Then he stumbles off the hustings and breaks his neck. And he also gives us our episode title. He wasn't <laughs> He wasn't so much shouting as speak singing, I thought. <laughs> it was almost like that. Yeah. I, I actually found myself kind of glad. It was like, hey, wow, the title of the episode is done with. You don't have to wait for that. <laughs> it's like, okay, we're going to start with the very first line of the episode. This is the funniest opening scene I've ever seen in any TV show. Yeah. <laughs> I also Why? Have- <laughs> <laughs> just as how ridiculous it is. How absurd. Or he's just like, he's just soliloquying by himself, and then he fall- he flips over a rail says, and breaks his neck. What he says is funny, too. Yeah. <laughs> it may- just musing about his life and then dying. It, 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 <laughs> It actually made me want to see, like, not that I want these characters to die, but it made me want to see everyone later who tries to do a speech tumble over and break their necks. <laughs> oh, no. Just going off, going off the um, 
they'll be going off like lemmings, just one after the other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that how we get elected? I thought it was. I thought it was sad. Oh, it oh, was it's a sad tale. If you think about well, it, it, it was a confession, wasn't it? Like he yes, was kind of was. giving a, a bit of a confession, right? He's obviously yeah. got gotten drunk and he's got to mm-hmm. that um, overly drunk phase and wandering the streets and needs to um, come out with it. I guess. If yeah. you think about it, as something that actually happens, or like if this was a real telling of something that happened or whatever, then yeah, it's sad. But as a like somebody thought this up and wrote it, <laughs> and it's just <laughs> funny. I don't know. Most of the people who ended up there had tales like, I mean, that was how most of them ended up, you know, they broke and, and all, but, but it, yeah, I mean, there was an, the irony of the death happening right then was kind of, I mean, this can't, poor guy can't win for losing no matter what. Hmm. Hey, did anybody else notice that Al was sleeping at night? Yes. 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 He usually goes to bed in the, like. Early morning. He wasn't really sleeping, though, was he? No. 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 Seeing Al in bed and hearing this guy yelling, it just reminds me of all the times where I've been asleep, but I've I've heard voices outside, whether it was when I was in university or just now in my apartment complex. Like, I hear people, and it's like, I'm curious what they're shouting about, but Mm -hmm. I just don't. I'm just too tired to get up and see and go to the window and look and listen, and then I fall asleep. And then I wake up the next morning. It's like, did I dream that? That there were people outside yelling last night? Or d- did that actually happen? <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying that Al Swearingen and I have a lot in common, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I assume his brilliance is one of the things. Oh, thank you, Carol. <laughs> it is now morning and a shirtless Dan, and I wrote in my notes, no thank you. Johnny and Al look at the body. <laughs> I interpret Al's dialogue in this scene to mean that if they had slept through this broken out couple shouting, they might sleep through an ambush from Hearst. This was equally as hilarious to me. Mm-hmm. This scene. Just like shirtless Dan barefoot in shit. And yeah, he Johnny was and Johnny Johnny with his butt flap open. Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> and in general in those long johns, I mean. Yeah, it was just the pajamas. It was just uh, too much. Yeah. Well, actually, it, was, it was a contrast, wasn't it, right? you got these three tough dudes coming out and, you know, want to take care of things, but they're in the pajamas and his ass is hanging out. It's just not quite the right look. It's true. They're, but actually, were, they were actually underwear. He was actually wearing his underwear Yeah, <laughs> out on the street. Well, whatever. It's, it's pajamas it's still. Why didn't they put their clothes on before they went out? Like, how long would it have taken? <laughs> They wanted to, they wanted to get out there before everyone else, I guess. I didn't see many people in the thoroughfare. Must be really I, I, early. I mean, I'm guessing that Al was really incensed, and they came out at Al's raging. Hmm. Al was dressed, right? Yeah, he was. He wasn't. Yeah. Well, when he first woke up, he was wearing his uh, union suit. Is that what they call it? Yeah. yeah. Is it, was anyone terrified he was about to go over to the chamber pot? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't no. think. So I think that Al is saying, if this guy was shouting and it didn't arouse us from our slumber, then Hearst could strike at us when we sleep, and we will enter a sleep from which none awaken, and therefore Dan and Johnny are going to have to take turns on watch. Uh-huh. Makes sense. I also, I normally avoid going to, to read reviews of episodes. But I was very curious what people had to say about this opening scene, because it feels like kind of like a throwaway, mm-hmm. especially since it's the title of the episode. So I went to 
Alan Seppenwall's review at hitfix.com. I went to Todd Vandermeer's review on the AV Club. Like, and none of them mentioned it. Like, they don't, they didn't talk about its significance it at all. So I guess it was throwaway. I just felt like it was setting up the tension that, you know, Al is taking this whole thing with Hearst really seriously. And he's, you know, that him awake and hearing the guy yelling and, and him being upset with them. And what was the comment? Something like, uh, and you just decided that he, he's no threat to us. Um, and, uh, you know, I thought it was just setting up the, the tension and the fact that this is serious stuff. Hearst writes something and hands it to Captain Turner. We'll find out what it is later. Then we go to the Bullock household, where Seth doesn't like Martha's weak tea. And she says, <laughs> well, lucky for you, I don't make weak tea. Oh, and he goes, no, what, I'm, uh, what I meant is not that your tea is weak. It's that I like my tea unusually strong. Well, I'm not a mind reader either. I can't and, tell if they're flirting. I think he's trying to flirt and she's not getting it. I don't know. I, I think they, there's a little banter. There's a little awkwardness. But it ends with Seth stroking Martha's back. Which he's like, he's like, hey. Which I'm, not sure, which I'm not sure she's into or not. She seemed like she was we didn't get Oh, she's into it. into it. She's into yeah. it. I mean, she's she's fine, in a face yeah. like, hey. I, I titled this, this section, um, and now for some awkward tea with Seth and Martha. <laughs> it was just, it was a really weird flirt, though. But I still, I liked it. I was, I was shipping them. I was like, oh, it's adorable. <laughs> I, I didn't get the feeling that she, I thought she was really being kind of touchy. And uh, the idea of Seth teasing, I was like, whoa, Seth teasing? This is new and different. But uh, I got the feeling Martha was being kind of touchy about the whole thing. But I ended up with a, saying, does Seth get turned on by disagreement? <laughs> <laughs> no, I felt like she was just, like, being jokingly touchy, maybe. Or maybe she was touchy, but then she was like, oh, he's, he's just kidding. And then she kind of, you know, smiled. Mm-hmm. I think she liked it in the end. Phrasing. <laughs> um, <laughs> Shut I've up! Got a, I've, got a, <laughs> I've got a quote here from David Milch. Stories of the Black Hills, he writes, In the third season, Seth and Martha Bullock begin to develop a vocabulary of gestures before they have one of words. In the second episode of the third season, Martha gives him some tea, and he has no ability to say even, I don't like this. He says, eh, too weak. Martha realizes that he does mean that the tea is too weak, and is such a miracle to him that he's been able to communicate with her that he immediately fucks her. <laughs> <laughs> That's intense. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I like them a lot as a couple. Yeah, and this yeah. is coming from a major Salma shipper. I really like Seth and Martha. Yeah, yeah. See, once we got that kid out of the way, it's been it's Martha. It's been really good. Doc Cochran fears Alma's losing her baby. Her stomach pains and bleeding are not owed to slow digestion. He needs to act, by which uh, he's going to have to abort the baby. I wasn't expecting this at all. Yeah. No, I wasn't either. Well, we heard that. She would have difficulty with her pregnancy. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> You're making that sound like it was a psychic prediction. <laughs> she went to a psychic. <laughs> that's what they told her. <laughs> He's a really good doctor. Let's mm-hmm. Yeah. I find time. find his diagnosis diagnoses rather remarkable. Yeah, for the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, the thing is that she might have been able to carry it to term nowadays, but at the yeah. time, there weren't a lot of options. Mm. Or th- maybe he could perform a cesarean and then put the baby in the Niku. Is that what they call it? Yeah. Well, she's not even showing it, is she? No. Not really. Um, I don't know. They 
the dresses they would I mean her the front of her dress is coming down pretty far, but you know, they had ways to kind of cover these things up a bit. Plus yeah. she's in bed underneath the covers in a uh-huh. in a big blousey kind of outfit. Mm-hmm. I miss your tight dresses. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> of, course, of course you do. <laughs> I miss those corsets. Dan wants to go across the thoroughfare and slit her throat, but Al urges deception and caution. This is when Captain Turner walks in with the envelope. Joni reveals to Sai that she nearly killed herself. He tells her a gun to the temple comes from not feeling useful. She doesn't want to run girls anymore. He says that's turning away from your gifts. Your gift is tending to whores. <laughs> he's, he's so sleazy, isn't he? So, I mean, although the that scene kind of started up, it was um, it was kind of almost a hint of uh, support, but you know it's not going to come. And then, he, yeah, he kind of talks about her training, you know, the moving away from her training. And was, yeah, that's that's classic Sai. Yeah. yeah, I love the difference between what Sai says to her here and what Charlie says near the end to her. Yeah. I am I going to quote steal here because I'm going to say what Joni says to Sai. Do it. You already she, did, so you may as well just go on. <laughs> I don't think I did. <laughs> yes, <you> did. <laughs> she says verbatim, "When you speak, I feel like it's the devil yeah. talking." Mm-hmm. And then he gets all offended, like, "What? What? what? Excuse me? What? That's awful! What? What a I'm thing to so, say to a person!" <laughs> I'm so hurt. Uh, yeah. I, I I I'm just. I'm kind of like, I don't know if he's actually gone crazy or if he was already <laughs> crazy or what. He's he's really weirding me out this season. <laughs> I, I think he's playing so many different games and he's yeah. got so much time on his hands. Yeah. That, well, now know. he does, yeah. <laughs> he's just stuck in bed with nothing. Yeah, he's so, yeah, he's so overtly melodramatic. Yeah. He's so overtly melodramatic, isn't he? It's like over, way over the top. He's like, he's, Saw on steroids in some of the scenes. Yeah. yeah. Calm it down, Sai. Jeez. Yeah. It's almost like he's so incredibly ins- insincere about everything in his life that he just overplays everything. Yeah. Outside, Joni helps Lila. She's been doping it up with Leon. Is that what she's doing with Leon? Yeah. I couldn't quite tell. Yeah, well, yeah, she's been taking heroin. Why do we think he was covered in blood? Who was covered in blood? Wasn't uh, Leon covered in blood a little bit? I thought I he was. Know. Did he miss a vein? I, I don't remember that. I didn't re- remember whether it was blood or he was just a mess. <laughs> just dirty? Okay. Yeah. Maybe yeah, I'm He reminds me of the Irish guy who would shit his pants when he got <laughs> drunk, and then he would hide his <laughs> pants under rocks. <laughs> Which is one of my favorite things. <laughs> Jane asks for Moses' help to bring the water inside so she can bathe. He teases her about that. They must have put extra dirt on her face because right before she said she was going to bathe, I was like, man, Jane, bathe. And then she's like, I'm going to take a bath. I was like, oh, okay, good. (laughs) While she bathes, Moses says he wants to listen to her speech to the children. Jane says, that's all right, but you have to stay outside near the shitter. First time he said, oh, can I listen? I was like, listen to you bathe? (laughs) That's creepy. (laughs) It's nice that she's making peace with the guy. Yeah. And that she's off the bottle for a day. I hope she stays off the bottle. 
Well, I hope she keeps like I hope she keeps telling stories to the children every day. I feel like that would keep her off the bottle. Mm. Yeah, it's it's nice that she's she's uh, feeling useful. She should be the teacher's helper. I think it'd be nice. She should work at the school. Like all Martha has to do is to like make up pretend things for Jane to do. Yeah, she doesn't need Jane's help, but she could say, "Jane, I really need your help. Can you help me rearrange these desks?" Like, yeah, she just has to make up pretend work to keep Jane occupied. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought Jane was um true, true to her personality too, where she's you know how she kind of acts overtly tough, and you know when she's in the bath and she starts to have, have to talk about how she's going to deal with the kids, and it's kind of like this very strict teacher that you you sit up straight and you face the front and you get the answers right, otherwise you're gonna you know, get the cane. So I thought that was quite, quite good too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Jane's got a lot of stories at this point. I mean, I'm pretty sure that this is after, yeah, that this was after she went on the Wild West show circuit. May have been before and after. I don't know. She should do a one woman play. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, that means that she's traveled like all over the place. She could tell the kids all kinds of things about other places. And it doesn't matter if it's true or not. It would be entertaining. <laughs> this is true. I also like that when Mose asks, can I listen? She smiles to herself. Like she's flattered by this. Mm-hmm. This is why people like Jane so much. Because she's a bluster. She's a drunk. She's angry. But these private moments where she shows her vulnerability and her sweetness are just really nice. They're nice to see. Mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. one reason it was like, okay, she's been drunk all the time for a while. It's time to yeah. have those other parts of her come out. So this was nice. This was nice to see. I agree. Dan, Johnny, and Silas stare at the note Captain Turner brought. It is a rectangle, a line, some X's. They suspect that the rectangle might mean the door, the line, the bar, the X's, the murderers. But they're they're having trouble deciphering it. I thought I thought they were trying to figure out a tic tac toe game that they didn't quite know how to play. <laughs> like I was like, what's going on? Mel was super confused with this, this whole thing. <laughs> yeah, we had to rewind it two or three times. <laughs> but when event was well, skipping ahead, when the guys were at the bar and, and Johnny looks at the note, did you figure out at that point no, that it was didn't. no? Oh, okay, that, <laughs> I had I had to rewind it for her to go to every scene that featured the note right up to. Like we had to go way back to when the note was first being sealed, and I was like, "Okay, I thought I thought he was like I didn't even know what Hurst was doing. Mm. Like I thought he was burning a piece of paper, like or like lighting a mat, like lighting a, a cigarette or something. Like I didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would have been really funny if um, Johnny kind of just looking at the, the the note and just has that moment of realization, then puts a circle, you know, a circle, an extra cross there, and then yes. puts a line through it. <laughs> well, in a lesser show, Johnny would be would say out loud, "Oh, that's what the note means." Actually, they kind of they kind of do that. They, they did, they? They, they, yeah, but not they not kind of in such a, a bit later. Yeah, but not in a real overt way. I feel like you're making fun of Twin Peaks. <laughs> I don't. Why? Why? Andy with Andy being like so. Oh, you know, all the time, Deputy Andy. You know what? You could draw a parallel between Andy and Johnny. You could. <laughs> you really could. Except we never saw Andy's ass when he <laughs> t- turned around and walked away in his pajamas. <laughs> maybe if there had been a season three. Yeah, maybe. Richardson is applying balm to E.B.'s wounds. 
When he gives his speech tonight, E.B. is going to ask the camp to rise up and murder the maniac Bullock who beat up the mayor with merciless protraction. <laughs> yeah, that's, that'll happen. I love that he suggests that E.B. was egg-hatched. <laughs> mm. Or no, that Richardson, sorry, was egg-hatched. <laughs> yeah. Just like you, Mel. Just like me. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to the Defenders podcast to get that <laughs> reference. <laughs> I can't remember which review it was that I read, but someone said, you know, at this point, E.B. and Richardson are really, like, in their own show. They are Shakespearean characters, off on the sidelines, commenting on the action. At one point, Richardson's even looking through a peephole, telling E.B. what's going on that's very much like the uh, the Greek chorus kind of aspect to, to plays and theater. Spin-off. Yeah, they were, they were great, too, in this episode. They were. I love them so much pretty great. Ellsworth and Sophia spot Seth and Martha. Sophia walks with Martha and tells her, my mother is sick. Seth looks at the Ellsworth house and I really think in this moment he wishes that he could run to her. Yeah, I think you're right. And then I write in my notes, fuck her back into good health. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's what she needs right now. (laughs) (laughs) The man who killed the Cornishman has returned to the gem. Al believes he and the other three fellows are the exes on the note. Al makes a little congenial small talk, but then he quickly stabs Paul Blackthorne. That was the guy who kept saying parp the episode before, and he slits his throat. Dan kills the other fellow at the bar. Johnny aims a gun at the two goons sitting at the table, and Al says, don't shoot him, Johnny. Charlie decides to come back later after breakfast. Oh, and the barber has pissed himself. Yeah, I uh, I put a note here that uh, Charlie not getting involved, this is why we don't see Bullock sheriffing much. It's a hands-off kind of a place. Mm-hmm. Plus, I like it when he tells the other guy, you know what, you don't want to go in there right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was pretty great. Right. They end up doing like a dosey doty They could have warned the barber. Poor guy. Pissed his pants. Aw. <laughs> Lesson learned, I suppose. I don't know. But how, how, how tough and intense is this scene? It's like that classic Western. you got these, all the, the you know, classic um, Western egos all, all, all in there ready to go. And um, you got Dan and Al doing, really doing the dirty work and, you know, not, not scared to do it. And I can't tell if Dan strangles the guy with his arm or if he stabs him in the back. Yeah. He's just sort of... Yeah, I didn't look that closely. I thought he had stabbed him, but I wasn't sure. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to count assaults to the face, which was our miscellaneous prediction from the last episode. Assaults to the face by hand or handheld instrument. And skipping ahead, there weren't any. But if... (laughs) Can we we count assaults to the head? (laughs) Yeah. Okay, if we if we if we count assaults to the head, then there were two because Al slit Paul Blackthorne's throat and then Dan had his arm around the other guy's neck. Is a neck considered a head? Well, I'm not a doctor. But <laughs> no. <laughs> but for our purposes, I think yes. Didn't Al get slapped in the face with a a thing? He or, got yeah, hit, at the end. He got hit on the head with a the butt of a gun. Yeah, that was at the end. Yeah. I'm gonna Unless there's an objection, I'm going to count this as two assaults. Okie doke. Yeah, all right. All right. Silas is signing his house over to Saul. Silas is ready to spit in his hand and shake, but Saul would rather put pen to paper. <laughs> I, I like that. He's, he's bringing civilization to the Wild West. <laughs> I just like how uh, he's like, he looks down at the pens and or the inkwell, and he's like, you know what? That's what these are for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um... 
whenever I've tried to spit my hand and shake, uh, you know, to, to like mimic, like Deadwood, right? Everyone's like, what are you doing? That's gross. Stop doing that. Like, no, it's a thing. I bought it from a show, but never mind. You don't get it. You don't get it. You guys would get it. That was the thing back when I was a kid. Still just friend. keep at it, Matt. Just keep at it, Matt. You I'm, might I'm, I'm trying to bring it back. to go viral at some point, right? Trying to bring it back. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, we carry around our little bottles of Purell, but... Oh, that's right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's like fitting in your hand. You put some Purell in your hand, and the other guy puts Purell in his hand, and you shake. Yes. I'm just trying to think if you, to be persistent and you really want this to kind of catch on, you've gone to the local shops and you just bought a, you know, a, a carton of milk. Thanks, mate. You just spit in your hand and it, what kind of, would you get it from the guy across the counter? <laughs> uh, They'd be appalled. Oh, what are you doing? <laughs> That's how I got kicked out of Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> Alma is telling Trixie and Ellsworth her wishes. Should she die? Her property claim will go to Sophia, and she wishes Seth to be Sophia's advocate. Ellsworth said, shouldn't Seth be present to accept these terms? And he runs out to fetch him. Poor Ellsworth. He has every right to be really pissed off. Yeah, I've never... He, he's done nothing but, you know, be good to her, so... I guess she's just not confident in his ability to protect her? Well, she she uh, explains it later, and, you know, it it is... She has got good reason, you know, the... the I feel idea like she should have explained it to him, though. Yeah. Not saying anything and just letting him, you know... Yeah. ...stew in that thought of her not trusting his ability, I suppose, you know? Yeah. Well, maybe she doesn't trust. Maybe later when she says she's trying to spare him the indignity of having to deal with George Hurst, maybe what she means is, I don't trust him with George Hurst, because it's more personal. But no, but it's, it doesn't, just for him though, it doesn't have anything to do with George Hurst. It has to do with being a father to Sophia, which that's what he wants to do, right? Mm. That's, yeah. that's part of the reason that he's a, in the family now, mm-hmm. you know, he obviously yeah. treats her like a daughter. So to lose his daughter would be, yeah. But and it's, it's kind people, of one in the same did, though. Did one of his kids die before? Yeah. It'd be like yeah. losing it again. That'd be awful. No wonder he's so angry. Yeah. Oh, I don't blame him at all. Mm. He really could handle that a whole lot better. Now, it, I couldn't. I couldn't understand this at first. Like, when she said this, I was like, "Why is she doing this?" Like, it was confusing. Yeah. yeah, this this scene took me a couple of times, and and the one that comes a bit later on with the with the explanation, it, I'd I'd go over it a couple of times to to understand it because yeah. you can kind of see that she's saying she's doing it, yeah, so he won't be won't, won't suffer the indignity. But then you know when you break it down in the end. He's you know, not not here to those you know not looking after those he's properties. Still suffering an in- yeah. He's still suffering an indignity. Yeah, it comes from her now. Yeah, yeah. But she just must not trust him. She's he's such a sweet man, and she can't trust him. because it's not just looking after Sophia. It's mm. Sophia, Sophia, and the gold claim will looking be at- connected. Yeah, looking yeah, at and, I, and- so I, yeah, and it's it, he he admittedly. She would be put. She is putting Seth into a whole lot more danger this way. So the question is: Does she put Ellsworth in that danger, or does she put Seth in that danger? And, and I think in this moment she's thinking about Sophia. I really think that she's like, who is going to protect my child's interest the most? And I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings, Ellsworth. I'm sorry if I put you in danger, Seth. I'm thinking about my ward. I have to think about Sophia and the gold yeah. claim that's there because they're tethered. 
and she probably feels like shit for for doing this to poor yeah. Ellsworth, but she has to make it. She has to make a decision because this girl is. I mean, the girl's been through hell already. So, yeah, there are there are no winners in this situation. No. no. But we go to something very happy. We go to the schoolhouse where Jane is giving her speech as Mosa listens in. Jane gives a very nice report about her time serving a very narcissistic General Custer. He traveled with zoo animals. <laughs> the children are very amused, and hopefully they they take her advice to heart. Listen, and don't stare at yourself in the mirror too much, lest you be scalped. <laughs> and then there's a nice beat where she calls Martha brave. And oh, Martha nope. is a bit taken aback. Yeah, yeah, that was really nice. Yeah. He called. She called Sophia brave, too. Yeah. Right. So I love this scene. I think it's very sweet. I love her interactions with the children. Uh, When when she tells the little boy, if you don't mind, if I can please continue. Yep. (laughs) She's teasing the kids. The kids are are smiling and laughing. And it's just, it's great. And the way that she uh, calls the General Armstrong behind his back because Armstrong is such a puffed up name. And don't you stare in the mirror too long. You'll get scalped by Indians. Okay, that part's racist. But (laughs) otherwise, it's just, it's a nice scene. Did anybody else call that General Armstrong? Like in in history? No, I mean, that's his name. I don't know. Oh, I I thought the students said that wasn't his name. Yeah, he's Armstrong Custer. Okay. Well, then why are they ask? why are they asking why she calls him Armstrong then? Well, that's his first name. In those days I thought it was George, George Custer. George Armstrong Custer. Yeah. This is his middle name. This is middle name. Yes. But even if it were for his first name, I mean, think about it. Um, Martha still calls her husband Mr. Bullock. Yeah. Calling people by their first name was not something people did at that time. Yeah. Especially a general that you're working for. I tried to find out if he actually did travel with zoo animals. He traveled with dogs. He loved dogs. They accompanied him everywhere. He had so many dogs, 40 to 80, that even if he set out with 15 or 20 of them, there was still plenty to stay at home. Yeah, 40 to 80 at any time. And of course, he he hunted with them. He traveled with horses. But zoo animals makes me think of like giraffes and elephants. (laughs) I don't know if that was true or not. He was a strange man. And he wanted to be president. Oh, did he? That's what I had heard. That he had, he had, um, that's, some people think that that's why he didn't listen to anybody and went into, to that battle. Um, that he was trying to make a, a big splash so that he could have a political career afterwards and become president. That he had his eye on the presidency. This is funny. I found something from True West magazine. He was thriving in the open spaces of the West, where he enjoyed hunting and collecting animals, which he had sent to the fledgling zoo in New York City. He sent so many animals that they had to tell him to stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Again, it doesn't say what kind of animals. Richardson looks through a peephole and says, "Uh uh-oh. Evie wants to know why uh uh-oh. Because Seth is in the dining room. Also George Hurst. Charlie Charlie thinks the men he just saw killed at the gem belong to Hurst, yet Hurst picks the fish. Ellsworth appears and tells Seth that Alma would like to see him. This is one of those scenes where it's kind of people coming into rooms and telling telling other people what happened, and then people leaving rooms, and coming in to fetch people to tell them to come out of the room to another room. It is a bizarre sort of a scene. Yeah. I, I almost feel like it's just to set up um, Charlie's 
relationship or, you know, at least in his own head with Hearst to let us know what Charlie's thinking about Hearst. Mm-hmm. I, it'll be interesting to see if there's a payoff down the line for that. Let me get some Richardson EB banter, which is always fun, but oh. Doc is staging a mirror with Trixie's help. I like how she's just sort of on the table with her legs spread open. <laughs> He's like, well, a little wider, please. Thank you. Thank you for the help. That's, that's what you bring to the table. Yeah. No pun intended. Alma tells Seth that Brahms' family and George Hurst will try to poach the claim from Sophia. Seth agrees to protect Sophia. And Alma says, you know, for what it's worth, I regret nothing. That's nice. Yeah. 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 Saul gives a happy thumbs up to Seth as Seth leaves the Ellsworth house. Saul tells Trixie through the window, I bought the house. It it, it doesn't mean we have to move in together. (laughs) And she smiles to herself. (laughs) <laughs> it's uh, it's super cute. It's it might be yeah. my favorite moment from the entire episode. I like how the glass looks like ice. <laughs> it's very opaque. Mm. It's got like swirls in it and stuff. Mm. Good. Yeah. If uh, if Alma dies in childbirth, does that mean that Seth murdered her with his penis? Yes. <laughs> Technically. <laughs> what what a weird question. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it would be manslaughter since it wasn't intentional. Is that a pun? No. <laughs> It's, it's it's a direct consequence. <laughs> slaughter. And slaughter. No, it was not a pun. <laughs> this is very cute. I have a quote here from Paula Mackelson. As far as Trixie's romance with Saul goes, it's irritating and it's wonderful, and she's amused by it, and she tries to fuck it up at every turn. Saul puts up with it, and she just thinks he's a fucking idiot. Saul is sort of less of a man because of this tenderness, which is really necessary for her. Swearingen recognizes to what extent a Jew is shackled by others' perceptions of him, and therefore understands that no Jew could sustain the imputation of cohabitating with a whore and still be elected mayor. As a practical man, Swearingen architects a way to circumvent that restriction in the service of the common good. You never hear Swearingen ask Trixie anything about Star. He never asks Trixie to portray him, in part because he wants the relationship to work out. So a couple things in here that I, th- I find really insightful. First, the idea that Trixie tries to fuck up their relationship constantly because she rejects affection. Yeah. And she thinks that Saul is weak because he's tender, but the tenderness is is necessary. And also that Swearingen wants Saul to be mayor, but understands that because he's Jewish, there's already going to be a, a strain of anti-Semitism against him. So he can't. Saul can't fuck it up by being with Trixie. Therefore, Swearingen has to create a, a scenario in which Trixie and Saul can be together, and that's the Trixie is in Shaughnessy's shitbox and goes through a passageway into the house to fuck her. Yeah. And he'll never say this, that this is why he's doing it, but he really wants the relationship to work out. He's shipping them. He's <laughs> shipping them hardcore. I thought it was kind of kind of cool that you know, this is the first time we've really seen Saul get excited about any of this. Mm-hmm. You know, he's been he's been so like, oh, I, uh, yeah. and Trixie was downright angry about the whole thing. So this is the first time that either one of them has actually indicated that they're kind of excited about it. They kind of like the idea. Mm. Yeah. Oh, he's he's like a little kid. He's like, I bought the house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and the thumbs up. Oh, they're adorable. Yeah. yeah, and I love it how she still pretends to be pissy and annoyed, but then when she turns, she just smiles to herself because yeah, it's funny she's that happy. He, yeah, it's funny that he doesn't seem to mind at all. Mm-hmm. They're in a good rhythm. Yeah. yeah. 
Dan is telling Johnny that Hurst signaling his intentions via the note was Hurst showing his ass. Johnny thinks Hurst isn't too smart, but Dan says, no, he's smart. Him and Al, they're both real smart. (laughs) You got a couple of academics here breaking it down, right? Getting into the detail (laughs) with what happened. (laughs) They're trying to, but they're getting it wrong. Because, in my opinion, that this note was not Hurst showing his ass. This was Hearst pretending to show his ass, to pretending to placate Al, only to draw Al to his hotel room so that later on he can attack him. It's like, it reminds me of when somebody, like a bully, steals something from you and then is like, oh, here you go, I'll give it back. And it's like, nope! And then he like yanks it away and he's like, oh, here you go, I'm just teasing you. Then yanks it away again. This is what Hearst is doing to Al. It's sort of like, he kills a person in Al's place, then he apologizes by having those guys killed, and then is like and like warning him ahead of time, and then brings Al back, then attacks Al. It's all like a tease. It's all nefarious plotting. I wonder if Al had been when he went up to the veranda. Um, I wonder if Al had been more. Um, the word is escaping me, but basically said, you know, yeah, I'll play your game with you out on the veranda. Um, whether or or more um um ah, i can't come up with the word um but much more saying that he'll give in to hearst what hearst wants like placating him and stuff whether um when they went inside it would have been something totally different and it would have just been figuring out arrangements and stuff because al was still on the veranda was basically saying um you know I'm I'm still my own man and I'm not I'm not giving in to you. I find Johnny and Dan trying to decipher all of this it it, it shows how much trust and faith they put in Al. Oh yeah. They think that he's just so smart and and Hearst is just so stupid and it's not the case at all. I mean guys are these guys are either of equal intellect or maybe well, it's difficult to say, you know, who's smarter or who's yeah. doing the the plotting and scheming better. But Hearst is definitely he's, he's playing some sort of game with these notes mm-hmm. and and staging murders and then preventing murders and he's controlling it all through Captain Turner delivering these sort of uh, these notes that have to be deciphered and and yet Johnny and Dan are like, well, he's so stupid and Al is so smart. It's like. Mm-hmm. Well, they also they, have to believe that. They really need to believe that. And of course, Al will never it. admit that he's being out, outclassed, outstripped. And you get a bit of the, the contrast of um, their personalities too, like between uh, Al and um, Hurst as well. Especially going back in that last scene, you can see um, Al, you know, motivated by making sure, motivated like in wanting to um, take control and, and uh, of, the, of the camp and so on. But he's still there's an element of compassion with him. With um, you can see that with the way he's working with um, Trixie and Sol. But then you compare that to Hurst, and he's just ice cold, um, cold-hearted. He'll he'll have people murdered. It doesn't really matter. Um, so you get that that slight contrasting. So Al would kind of want to have that perception of being um, clinical and ice cold at times. But we know that he has under those layers. He does have some some compassion. Whereas Hurst, through and through, is is definitely ice cold. Yeah, and you know the thing is that Al. Al knows that he, Al is smart enough to know that this guy is, is a huge threat. That's one reason he's not giving in. But, uh, and he knows he's playing with fire. He's, you know, that whole thing of having a tiger by the tail and just 
Like, are you going to get eaten or not? Yep. Why did you think that Al didn't want Johnny to shoot those other two guys? Because they were the messengers. Okay. Were they involved or not? They were. They were the ones that uh, Hurst had sent to observe. At first, I thought. At first, I thought they were mistaken, and this was just a random gathering of people who happened to be in that formation that was on the paper. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it was probably. It could have been to test um, Al to see if he overstepped some kind of boundary. That obviously, if there's two guys about to attack, and they take those guys out, that's fine. But the other guys sitting further away, that could have gone a step too far. Perhaps I don't know. I thought it was one of those go back and tell your master what you saw here kind of yeah, exactly. maneuvers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was what I had figured. Messengers. And upstairs, Silas complains to Al that he was left out of this morning's murders. <laughs> Aww. Everybody's so jealous of each other all the time when it comes to Al's attention. It's yep. true. They all want to be his favorite. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Al is just so annoyed by it. I love that. It was like, I felt like, you know, like when you're with little kids, you know, it's like, but you didn't pay any attention to me. <laughs> it's yeah. like kids around a swimming pool. Mom, watch, watch, watch me jump, watch me dive. Mom, <laughs> yeah. mom, yeah. watch, watch. You weren't watching. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, mom's got, uh, in this case, mom's got like somebody coming at her with a knife and mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, just, just. Give me a minute. I just can't concern myself with your feelings right now. I just don't care. <laughs> it was very childish, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And especially the way that scene worked up, because he just kept on asking. He just took it that one or two steps too far. He didn't need to. <laughs> you should. Yeah. I should have said to Silas, we'll talk about this later at your annual performance review. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Turner reappears. He's carrying another note. This is an invitation from Hearst to Al to watch the speeches from the hotel veranda, which he is presently creating by knocking down the hotel's exterior wall. This guy just like, it's just like, I don't care what's in my way. I'm going to take care of this. Like nothing, (laughs) nothing stops me from anything. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, you know, the whole hands-on thing that we talked about with Al, both he and Hearst are very hands-on in different ways. Like, I can't imagine Hearst doing his killing himself, necessarily. Though his indication that he knew how to use a... Was that a rock hammer that he that he had? Made it seem as though he might have killed some people. Um, but just like Al with the scrubbing the blood and everything, he's, you know, he's ready to pick up a sledgehammer and just bash his way through the wall. Mm-hmm. Not a subtle metaphor. No. And also, the what they chose to make both of them hands-on doing, Al, you know is perfectly willing to, you know, cut somebody's throat and clean up the blood after himself. And this guy is perfectly willing to take a sledgehammer. He's, it's always a hammer that he's using mm-hmm. and uh, and just bash things apart. You don't ever see him cleaning up. No. I, I really liked um, Al's oozing sarcasm when Dan comes in with the letter and then he asks Silas to come along with him, just building on that previous scene where... Um, Silas was um, being quite childish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Merrick tells Al that it is his sacred responsibility to disseminate information. Al calls Merrick on his double standard. He'll publish information, but nothing of, of an indecent sort. So he's interested in the truth, but only up to a point. Merrick says upon will publish whatever Al tells him about the infected horrors and this morning's gunfire, but Al replies that this is not to his interest. Al says publish something about saying that the speeches are back on for tonight. 
I think. This is very confusing to me. Mm. No, it's, you, you've had it. I, yeah, I mean, I like the whole thing when he said it's my sacred duty, and he basically says, no, angels didn't come on from on high and, you know, give you this sacred duty. <laughs> yeah, but they've had this conversation it. before. They've had this, Merrick wants to publish the truth and Elle says you only want to publish the decent truth like you never really want you're never really interested in the nitty gritty mm-hmm. like so we've I feel like we've had this conversation before kind of like a romantic <laughs> view of the whole thing romanticized mm-hmm. yep yeah. admittedly he does want to know what's going on kind of politically around town but you know that's not something you know it's people's personal business really yeah, Al can't break it down for Merrick and have it published. No. All of his no. strategy and all of this stuff. That would, be, no. that would be insane. Yeah. Seth asks Charlie to stand watch outside the Ellsworth home to keep an eye on Alma whilst Seth and Saul make their speeches. Charlie tries to cheer up Seth by mentioning how Sophia is thriving at school. Sweet as before, but more outgoing. Aww. And it works momentarily, too, because he's like, oh, that is nice. Mm. Good for the little five head. <laughs> <laughs> She's hiding that fight head well. Hard to believe that you guys originally thought that Sophia wasn't going to make it. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't yeah. That. Past the first couple episodes. and Yeah. yeah. I thought she just disappeared somewhere. I mm-hmm. Al wanted to kill her. Would we have, been, would yeah. we have forgiven him if he killed that little girl? Uh, that would have been would we like? Would we like him as much as we do now? We didn't know her back then. So I don't... Yeah. I think we would have forgotten her. Like, Probably. Been... I mean, we've we've forgotten a lot of the stuff that he did back when. He's still doing bad stuff, though. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. For some reason, though, we uh, forgive him. He's just so what? damn entertaining, and yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, he has he has stopped like you know killing people arbitrarily. Um, now he only kills people when they're like going to kill him first, type thing. <laughs> That article, Matt, that you posted about Ian McShane in Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. Makes me wonder if people think that he is Elsewhere Engine in real life. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure he is Elsewhere Engine in real life to a lot of people. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but then Russell posted those uh, photos of Ian McShane's albums. Oh, yes, that's right. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Where he's he's all lovejoyed out. Have you have you ever listened to his uh, songs? I haven't. Oh, might be something to look into. Maybe this should be uh, the song uh, at the end of the episode. Maybe it will be. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> when did Al ever kill somebody just because? Well, I mean, at the beginning there, um, there were a couple of those guys who... Um, Didn't he stab a guy in his office? Yeah. I remember why. Yeah, he stabbed them because... Because they weren't doing a good job with um, raiding people. They were the ones that had killed Sophia's family. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to remember the details of why he killed them. I mean, they were scum of the earth, but... Um, <laughs> oh, you kill, almost... you kill a family and you're scum, Carol? That's really I judgmental know. of you. I know. I'm very, I know. I know. I have these blind spots. I'm sorry, guys. Um, the, uh, but it was, they were loose ends that could, um, could connect him to the deaths and they weren't very smart and 
all. I mean, it was expediency, if I remember correctly. Right. It's been a while, and and you know some of the plot stuff and everything is. But that's not an arbitrary killing either. There no, was a re- I mean, there was a reason to that. Arbitrary might not be the best word. I mean, yes, there's expedient killing that is, you know, not a lot better. But, yeah, no, he doesn't just go around killing people for no reason. He had reasons, but a lot of times it wasn't, oh, someone's going to kill me. I think the the main difference is that back then he was killing for selfish motivations, his money, his his business, his bottom line, and now he's killing for the camp's interest. It's more yeah. altruistic killing. <laughs> I mean, so really, the, squ- the Squarehead family being killed, it's, that's obviously blood on um, uh, Al's, Al's hands, regardless of whether it's, you know, um, yeah. one degree of separation. So that's, and that, that percent, it's like, it's, that's arbitrary, but he's put those um, thugs up to it. And I'm yeah. sure he didn't, he, he probably didn't, or, he didn't order them to kill them, but that's what happened when he was running a, sh- a show with those kind of people. Yeah, and he and he knew it was them that had killed them. I mean, he he was basically almost like their sponsor from, you know, what exactly. was said. Yep. This was a scam that they were pulling together. They were pretending to be Indians and and killing travelers and robbing them. Mhm. Then Al would get a cut. Rutherford teases Harry about the speeches. Harry is nervous and his bowels are in upheaval. Then he makes a bolt for the shitter. I really wanted him to shit himself while he was making a speech. (laughs) He almost did. He might have. Considering not not scared to keep the toilet humor going from time to time. That's great. (laughs) Not that it really matters, I suppose, because everybody was like just like stepping in shit and bringing shit onto the podium and (laughs) (laughs) talking about shit in the creek. Yes. And Seth's like, "Stop talking about the shit in the creek." I'm really (laughs) tired of this conversation. That is gross, though. Yeah, <laughs> something. So like they, get, they always get that great balance between you know tense, uh, they either really sad scenes or tense scenes, and they can throw those elements, um, the element of humor in there that you know make sure there's something there for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, should should shit in your pants and hide those pants into rocks. <laughs> <laughs> As we've established, that is the smart way of doing things. Mm-hmm. Joni wakes up Lila and sends her away to horror. I presume. Uh, I don't really care about that scene. That was very short, and it's just more of Joni kind of being a mother hen to the horrors. Yeah. Trixie reveals to Alma that she has had seven abortions without cause for alarm. She dopes Alma so that Doc Cochran can perform the operation. Then they argue about inhaling fumes. <laughs> yeah, they're using chloroform, right? Mm, I guess. That's what I assumed. How much? How nervous is everyone once that? Once they just get. Uh, you can see this, they, they start those arguments because they're all on edge, mm-hmm. really. And, and Ellsworth kind of on the outside there. You've got to really feel for him. Well, again, you know, it's like Jane has been off the booze and she's, you know, doing, she's worried about being all stressed out. So Doc checks his hands again to see if they're shaking. So I assume he's off the booze for the day. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be, he's going to be crabby. You'd think they'd want to, like, maybe, like, you know, how a lot of people take a shot of something just to calm their nerves. But I suppose you still want all your faculties, but, I don't know, maybe strike a balance. (laughs) (laughs) A medicinal shot. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. What I've heard, most alcoholics indicate that it's really hard to take, like, one shot. 
Yeah. Mm, one one whiff of chloroform for Alma, one for me. One for Alma, <laughs> one for me. <laughs> Whoa, woozy. <woozy. laughs> and now it's night. The crowd is gathering at the hustings. Martha is teaching Sophia to knead dough. Seth tells Martha about Alma. They're going to pray for Mrs. Ellsworth while Seth delivers his speech. I thought that was a nice contrast on Martha between her being, you know, like being so um, annoyed with him about weak tea or early in the thing and now being very understanding about the big stuff, you know. Everything that Martha is teaching Sophia revolves around baking, planting beets, making bread. <laughs> it's very, very, uh, well... Feminine pursuits for the time, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Did you give her a microscope? <laughs> little, little, uh, I don't know, little, mm, what would have been a boy thing back then? <laughs> I don't know, bring, Planting her to, bring, sunflowers. bring her to the river to pan for gold. <laughs> Hunting probably would have been a boy thing. Why, Why didn't you take her to that astronomical <laughs> lecture? A yeah. trip to the stars. Sophia, come here. You shit yourself. Let's go hide your bloomers under a rock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, take her out drinking. She's old enough, right? Smoke some pot. Pass out on a stack of lumber. Flip turtles on. on their backs. Yeah. Uh, so judging by all the eateries um, around the place, I think the, the cooking is probably not a bad um, uh, work to, to be in, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Sophia can open a restaurant when she's older. Oh. <laughs> Not if she's got all that gold. She doesn't have to. She doesn't have to, but... No, but it's her passion. <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, yes. We're just a bakery. Yeah, I like it. Sophia's bakery. Yeah, I like it. Huh. She can, she'll go into competition against Shazami's cupcakes. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah. The great cupcake wars of the 1900s. <laughs> So we get a soliloquy from Sai. He's still obsessing over what Joni called them earlier when she called them the devil. He says, you know, deception don't preclude the search for fucking conviction, which I think means that just because he lies to Joni and tries to steer her in certain ways doesn't mean he's a bad person. <laughs> <laughs> hey, whatever you say. Hey, a whole bunch of other things make you a bad person. That doesn't. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. pretend to read this Bible. Isn't that enough? <laughs> that I have it here and I open it occasionally. <laughs> you know what, though? He probably does think he's doing good. He, he's probably deluded. Oh, yeah. Very that. few people think they're bad people. Oh, yeah. I know that. Andy Kramed enters the Bella Union. No, he hasn't come from the clerical discount. He's come to beg Cy for his forgiveness. He's come to apologize. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> oh, I was sad that didn't happen. <laughs> like, exactly like that. <laughs> Sorry, I apologize. <laughs> there you go. They could have summed that scene up in about four seconds rather than what happened, right? Yeah, exactly. what, did, what did he think was going to happen if he went in there? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I really did think long before he pulled out the gun, I thought, you, he's going to shoot you. I know. I know. Hands under a blanket. He's got a gun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hello. <laughs> what? He looked so surprised when the guy took the Derringer out. I guess because it was such a small gun and he expected a bigger one. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys thought that Sai was going to shoot Andy? 
Oh, yes. yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know why he didn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why I, I said earlier, I was like, he's crazy. Mm-hmm. He didn't because the spirit moved through him. Oh, sure. <laughs> sure it did. Well, we come very close to the dream of Brother Sai's revival tent in this uh, humorous, ridiculous scene. Sai says to Andy, you know what? You were provoked. I denied your true calling. Then Sai proceeds to mock Kramed by saying that the spirit is moving through him, and if he'd only... And if he'd only hold him, then maybe Sai would be able to walk again, and then he waves the gun around. Leon enters the room, and Sai further mocks Andy by having Leon get down on the floor and pray. You think he didn't shoot him because Leon came in? No. I don't know. Maybe, but I feel like... Messed up his flow? I feel like... Yeah, I I think you're right, Carol. I think he got his flow messed up. He was was in the zone, he was feeling it, and he was just (laughs) doing some massive, some kind of Melodrama, melodrama act, melodramatic act, and um, he was thrown off his off his horse. But he could have still shot him. Like he could have still done it. But like, it, he, but it like wouldn't he have been, it wouldn't have been right for him, would it? All right, he's he's working up to the crescendo, and he's going to take him out at the top of his you know his speech, and Leo comes in and stuffs it up. Yeah, I almost have the feeling that that's what happened. Hmm. I thought I just thought maybe he was just really trying to scare him. Yeah, scare him, but also. He just enjoys mocking him. Like, yeah. you're such a hypocrite. Mm. You claim to be pious, but really you're like, you're, you're, you're a con man. Yeah. You're an attempted murderer. Yeah. So <laughs> when Leon comes in, it's like, okay, let's let's play act this. He's, he's got a point, you know. <laughs> Sai does. Yeah, Sai's not wrong. No. He's no. still a terrible person, but it's oh, got yes. <laughs> so Sai just continued um, improving when Leo made an entrance. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you got him in on it. So Leon comes in and and Sai uh, prays with him, and uh, Andy Crane is like, you know what? Maybe this is a bad time. I'll come back later. <laughs> you got to duck behind Leon on the way out to use him as a shield. Yeah, <laughs> I'll come back later. <laughs> and then Con Stapleton comes in and tells Sai that it's time for the speeches. Will he really come back later? You guys think? No. No. <laughs> I mean, I don't think the guy is insane. Well, I hope not. I, I don't even... He shouldn't have came in the first place. No. Well, hopefully he got whatever it was, what was on his conscience. Now, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Johnny and Dan are not comfortable with Al going to see Hearst unescorted, but Al doesn't think their presence would strike the right chord since Hearst offered him this olive branch. <laughs> I also find that Dan calling Captain Turner a sea creature-looking cocksucker... To be quite hilarious. I like how people keep comparing. I felt like this olive branch thing. Like, didn't he say he like an olive branch in his mouth? Didn't he say something like that? Mm-hmm. I, I felt like everybody kept referring Al to like to a bird. Like they kept comparing him to a bird this episode <laughs> <laughs> with the duckling reference and then this dove reference. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I like that sea creature reference too, um, Matt. Yes. Like you could just imagine him just crawling out of the sea with all this seaweed all over him and just lurching about. Kind of like old Greg. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he does look like a walrus. All you need is like a couple big... You should put him in the, the big daddy suit from Bioshock. Yeah. Yes, he looks like a walrus. Aww. <laughs> big guy. He's a yeah. big guy. Very big guy. Yeah. We already passed the scene where Hurst was uh, eating fish. I was wondering why was the picking of fish bad? Like, was that not a manly dish to pick? 
I I just got the feeling that he meant that you know he just is being so casual about about eating. Yeah, what's the difference between fish and steak? You know, like <laughs> yeah, he called out fish for some reason. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I I didn't get the feeling it would matter what he was eating. Oh, maybe it's because it would have been fancy, I suppose, for being inland. Maybe, maybe they have they had trout and stuff. They had lakes and streams maybe. and yeah, yeah, that's true. They had streams with shit in them and dead bodies. That's also true. <laughs> I don't want to eat anything that came from that from that <laughs> creek. The fish were were probably eating all that stuff up. Num, 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 num. Mm, this yep. fish tastes like brum garret. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I guess it's no different than the pigs. <laughs> Joni tells Charlie that she feels sick. She feels sick inside, and Cy must have known she was sickly because he picked her all those years ago. Charlie says that while Bill Hickok often felt the same way, but others saw him as a gentleman with a good soul. So perhaps, like Bill, maybe Joni shouldn't be the judge and jury of her own self, but see herself as others see her. Then he takes her hand. This was so nice! Yeah, that's so nice. Great scene. And Carol, you picked it a little bit early with the the contrast of where um, Joni was with with Cy and then um, now now with um, Charlie, and it's, it's the complete opposite. Yeah. And Sai is what she's been dealing with her whole life, and Sai is what she's needed. And some great rationality there by and Charlie, Charlie is as what well. She's which, yeah. I I hope I hope that continues. What do you hope continues? Um, Joni and Charlie. Well, they've been friends for a while. I know, but they haven't really seen each other much lately. Yeah. I hope it. You know, I hope they get closer because uh, it's good for know, her. Joni needs somebody who thinks well of her and. Not in a what can you do for me sort of a way. It was so cute they held hands. I hope this is a breakthrough moment for Joni. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I I just imagine, I, I don't know this from personal experience, but when you are abused, you start to think of, I deserve it. Like, there must be something wrong about me that I deserve this. Mm-hmm. And he's trying. he's telling her, no, you don't. It's not... You, I see you as a good person. Yeah, I think it's. I think you're absolutely right, and I, I think it's. Does you don't even have to be abused to to do that to yourself, you know? Just a lack of confidence. Mm-hmm. And sometimes taking on too much responsibility, like for some reason you feel like you're responsible for everything that happens. Like you should have known that this is going to happen, and and done something to correct it and all. I also imagine if you open a whorehouse and you bring in all these girls in and then they get murdered by somebody that you would not feel good about yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Although she did not bring that on the people who got killed. No. They brought it on themselves, but that doesn't help, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. She feels like she felt she had a part to play just in the murder bl- of three women. Just yeah. blame it on the Borg Queen. <laughs> she, I mean, she also is just... It's... It's a horrible profession, you know, especially especially there and you know that time and everything else. And and she was ambivalent about it before that when she was dealing with uh, Veronica Mars and um, and all. You know, she was showing how ambivalent she was about it then. So between what happened to Veronica Mars, whatever her name was, and and then later the other three and. You know, it's it has not been a good year for Joni. No, it's you know she's it's she's really seeing the brutalist side of this whole thing, and 
No wonder, you know, it's not terribly strange that she would want out. Yeah, she must be reliving those horrific moments over and over again. Mm Mm-hmm. She wouldn't help. But on the plus side, she has really good outfits and hats. (laughs) Yes. She always looks wonderful. Even if, even though she's looking a bit haggard these days. The way she delivers her her lines and her, her, her voice and her vocals and, um, the way she's kind of on edge and her frailty in, in her voice and her sense, the way she does that, that's what's great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She's definitely like right on the edge of, of, you always get the feeling that there's like a, uh, edge of hysteria almost. Yeah, about to break, yeah, about to break, just keeping it together. Yeah. Right, just barely keeping it together. Over at the hotel, Hearst takes Al to his hole in the wall and they stand on the roof. Al's henchmen watch from the gem balcony. Cy watches with his stooges from the balcony of the Bella Union. Merrick blathers about to Tocqueville before giving the hustings over to E.B. So before we get to E.B.'s anti-Semitic speech, I'll just Uh. mention that de Tocqueville was a French sociologist and political theorist who traveled to the United States in 1831 to study its prisons and returned with a wealth of broader observations that he codified into a book called Democracy in America, one of the most influential books of the 19th century. Hmm. He believed that equality was the great political and social idea of his era, and he thought that the United States offered the most advanced example of equality in action. (laughs) Isn't that adorable? (laughs) He was impressed by much of what he saw in American life, admiring the stability of its economy and wondering at the popularity of its churches. He also noted the irony of the freedom-loving nation's mistreatment of Native Americans and its embrace of slavery. Yes. (laughs) Yes, that is ironic, isn't it? (laughs) Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So Merrick gives this little... little preamble to the speeches, which of course all the Hoobleheads in camp just really appreciate. They just, yeah. they, they love a good lecture. They understood the references, I'm sure. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, de Tocqueville. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love, they love that stuff. So E.B. gets up on the hustings, and he says his, his speech will be brief, and the crowd applauds. <laughs> <which> I, <laughs> he's not going to make faith an issue. And then he promptly references large noses, the exodus, circumcision, Christ, and it basically what it boils down to is everyone should vote for Farnham because Saul is a scary Jew. <laughs> yep. Or he's just a Jew. I like, sorry, I love Evie's t- tagline. <laughs> Farnham, Christ knows he's earned it. <laughs> <laughs> Put it on so much passion. That much passion when he was saying it. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Somebody's got to do up a somebody's got to do up a poster with like that looks like the Obama Believe po- or uh, Hope poster. Yes, but it's going to be Farnham. Say that Farnham. Oh, Christ knows he's in it. <laughs> it's going to be Farnham on a cross. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. He was saying it was like it was a great wide shot during the um, election speeches with Al and her standing on the veranda. Thought it looked really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the. Uh... And the guys standing on the balcony watching them and the, yeah. Um, I don't know about anybody else, but the thing that struck me about this entire scene with the going back and forth between Al and Hearst on the, on the roof and, and the, uh, speeches being made down below was that Al and Hearst, well, what I wrote here was Hearst and Al taking measure of each other, deciding the real power structure. While the peons go through the charade of deciding the power structure. Exactly. Exactly, yep. Mm-hmm. 
those speeches and everything don't mean anything. <laughs> they don't yep. mean anything at all. That's where the power struggles happen up on the veranda. Yep. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Not so different. But anyway. No, it's exactly the same. <laughs> yep. Oh, there was something on the side of the Bell Union I had never noticed before, but that's not unusual. There's I haven't noticed a lot of little things. It just said Chicago style girls. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Mel noticed that too. Yeah, I was like, oh my yeah, god. They're talking I about that as well. like their pizza. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Chicago style girls. They're just they're just covered in pepperoni. <laughs> and they're really into improv. Yeah. <laughs> I, this part of me just really wants to know what Chicago style girls are as opposed to New York style girls or Philadelphia style girls, but was it girls or was it ladies? I thought it was ladies. Chicago oh, maybe style. it was. It could have yeah. been. Yeah, either way. Deep dish ladies. <laughs> <laughs> I think the distinction is between Chicago style g- girls and just like backwater. Yeah, I would heard think. Heard a hat of girls. <laughs> I would think. And I would think that there's, there's probably also, um, if it was like New Orleans style girls, there would have been a racial connotation to it. You can be, be like Chicago style girls or girls from the creek. <laughs> yes. Yes. Ditchwater girls. Aww. Yeah, that, that that's written on that was written on the back of the building, not the front. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go through all these speeches before we go to Hurst and Al. Saul says he won't be parting the creek like Moses and the Red Sea because he plans on staying in the camp. The Hoopleheads want something to be done about all the shitting in the creek, and Seth is uh, tired of the subject. He's like, "I said enough about the shit in the creek." <laughs> But Saul's going to settle down uh, in Deadwood. He, he bought a house, and he's going to stay. Vote Saul Star for mayor. <laughs> then Seth gives his speech. He speaks of his partnership with Saul and says he'll be as good a sheriff as Saul will be mayor. And he's glad that he's in the camp, even on the starriest of days. Seth's speech sucks. <laughs> yeah, it does. I, I oh. thought it was very nice, but of course it was super short and uh, no specifics. <laughs> he didn't say anything. Yeah, yeah, I didn't say anything of worth. No. Just like, I'm, I'm here. I'm going to stay here. Harry's, Harry, it's, is, is it Harry? <laughs> yes. Harry's speech was way better, and he actually wanted to get things done, and nobody was listening to him. I, I mean, Harry's speech where he reveals himself to be a pyromaniac? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he warded it poorly, but I mean, he wanted to get stuff <laughs> but done. His heart was there. The, yeah. the thing is that none of that stuff was sheriff stuff. Yeah, I know. Nothing that he nothing he was saying was had to do with being sheriff. No, so, but... Neither- but neither Seth's stuff wasn't either. Well, he started out with, I agree with everything Saul said about being mayor. Yeah. So Saul had mentioned some specifics, if I remember correctly, um, before saying, or after saying that he was staying. So Seth basically said, okay, I'll, I'll support the mayor and I'll do all the stuff, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll enforce all the stuff he just said. I, I just I can't believe these guys were nervous about these speeches. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> it's like it was a minute long, if that. I, was the same. I like living here. All right, bye. <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing is, political speeches from that time were usually really long. <laughs> so, well, know your audience. Yeah. <laughs> because this audience, after hearing these very short speeches, Harry gets up. And nobody cares. They're all bored and they're all leaving. <laughs> yeah. And and it's so weird because, you know, people are talking about having come to hear the speech. Uh-huh. Well, here's the thing. They got there and then for 30 minutes, Merrick talked about de Tocqueville. 
probably. But, you know, political speeches were just so incredibly long. They were like Castro speeches, you know? They were like, um, I think when uh, Lincoln talked, did the Gettysburg Address, the guy right before him was like talked for like two hours or something. <laughs> so maybe they were all intimidated by um, EB's tactic. Then he came up and he opened it with, "He's only going to be a short speech," and the, the positive reaction by the crowd and uh, Solon <laughs> had to really match that somehow. That's a think on the spot. <laughs> He's a mastermind, EB. <laughs> Well, back then there wasn't much to do. It wasn't like today where, right. you know, you, right. where, where your Netflix queue just keeps exploding. It's like, I don't right. have time. Like, there's a right. new season of House of Cards and a new season of Daredevil. Like, I can't keep up. I just can't keep up. <laughs> yeah. I, don't I, give me, I, I can't, I can't stomach a two hour speech. I just can't. I got <laughs> stuff to watch. I got stuff to do. Yeah. No, you're right. It was, it was entertainment back then. And that's why I was kind of surprised that they, that, the crowd started just shuffling off after, you know, s- such a short time. But I kind of wasn't surprised that Seth's and Saul's speeches were so short because especially Seth is not a talker. Right. And to be fair, we kept cutting away to get Hearst now and then cutting, cutting back. So maybe, maybe in that, in that brief couple seconds, Seth said something really substantial, but I, <laughs> but I kind of doubt it. I kind of doubt it too. But he's got the presence. He doesn't need to say too much, does he? Yeah, I mean, I think he's kind of a, you know, here I am, take me or leave me kind of a guy. Mm-hmm. He didn't even want to be sheriff. Yeah, if you don't want me to be sheriff, I'll go back to, you know, being a hardware guy. Mm-hmm. Selling hardware. And stooping my wife. <laughs> well, he's going to continue doing that no matter what. <laughs> I felt like like we're the crowd. We walked away from Harry Manning. <laughs> we have to talk about his speech. Mm. He wants a fire brigade. Because ever since he was a little boy, he's always liked fires. <laughs> okay. Also, the graveyard needs to be moved, he says. I I got the feeling like he was running for mayor or city council or fire chief. Um, not... Well, maybe... Sheriff, yes. Sheriff. He's in the wrong position. Yeah, but maybe in this town, sheriff and fire chief is the same job. They might not have enough people. I'll bet if, if he wants to be fire chief... All he has to do is tell the, you know, powers that be, and they would make him fire chief. <laughs> I think it's funny that he mentions the graveyard being moved, because that actually does happen. I'm sure. Mount Moriah Cemetery was not the original burial place for the 1876 gold mining town. James Butler Hickok and Harry Weston Smith were first interred in Boot Hill, several hundred yards down the hill in Whitewood Gulch. A new cemetery was established on higher ground in 1878, when the less precipitous Ingleside area was needed to be used to build homes for the new residents of the growing gold camp. Bodies were moved to the new location, and the cemetery became the residential area of Jackson and Taylor Streets. I think we touched on this before, that where Wild Bill was buried and where the Reverend was buried, uh, they ended up being moved. Because hmm. they needed a space for new houses. I just read a thing the other day about um, about graveyards in Lower Manhattan and how really bad it got there for a while and how they had to move everything out to Brooklyn and the wilds of Brooklyn and Queens. Mm-hmm. Way on the boonies. Yeah, way, way out where no one would ever be living. In any case, I really like this sort of throwaway line, like he's about to leave. Oh, and the graveyard needs to be moved. And it <laughs> and, and it actually did happen. So that's a really fun sort of wink to history. So you're saying he gets elected? 
<laughs> oh, history spoiler. <laughs> During Seth's speech, we also watch a silent scene of Doc Cochran finishing his operation on Alma. However, we don't learn the results. Yeah, did they just did they pick her up and kind of move her like a sack of potatoes? Was that what I saw them doing? Or a corpse? Bum bum bum! Come on, do you think Alma's dead? Could be. I started wondering if she was going to die. Ooh. It seems it seems weird. To start off a season with her dead, though. I mean, it's only the, what, second episode? Yeah. Well, Wild Bill didn't live very long either, so... Yeah, but he was being the played... Episode by or so, and then he was dead? Hmm. He was being played by a star, and he really did die in real life. Alma's fictional. So she could die at any time. Yeah. Yep. But you would think that they would make more of it. Yeah. I mean, I hope she of... sticks around. I, I want Alma to stick around mm-hmm. on the hotel veranda Hearst says Al once expressed a willingness to cause interference but he's hoping to consolidate purposes Al replies that purposes conflict and when someone talks about consolidating purposes what they really mean is bending the weak to their will Captain Turner lurks behind with a pistol to Al's head he's there to protect Hearst from Al's close knife work won't you come inside please they go inside and Hearst demands Al bend to his will and drink to that Al declines. Captain Turner pistol whips Al. Hearst wants Mrs. Ellsworth's claim and demands Al assist. Al offers helpful advice, act adverse to nasty language and partial to fruity tea. (laughs) Feeling insulted, Hearst stabs Al in the hand with a pick. Ow. It's actually really good advice because Alma does not like nasty language and she does like tea. (laughs) I wonder... Did he he stab him in the hand with the pick side or did he, he crush his hand with the hammer side? I'm going to say he stabbed him since Matt has seen this before. <laughs> uh, I th- I think he st- I think he stabs him with a pick. I was uh, wondering if he lost fingers or not. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was wondering too. I thought he did. I don't remember actually. We'll f- probably find I- out next episode. Okay, cuz I I had thought he he hit him with hit it with the uh the hammer side and just like crushed the bones in his hand. Yeah, I couldn't get a good look at the hammer, but sometimes you know on the other sometimes on the other side of the hammer you have you can take the, na- the things that you take the nails out. It looked like something kind of like that, so it could be sh- a sharp edge as well. I don't know. Well, I, I'm going to tell you, I, I just looked a... at the transcript for the next episode, and I will spoil it now. Yes, he loses a finger. So Ow. it was the pick side. Okay. I just wanted to spoil it because I wanted to end the conversation. Okay. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no okay. point in debating it if I could just get the answer right now. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Oh, it, that's it sad. Looked a, it looked to be a rock hammer, and a rock hammer's got that that sharp um, thing on one end and a blunt one on the other. So I can't. I why did he let Al live at all? Um, I was wondering that too. But my feeling was that he probably understood that Al is a pretty powerful guy, and he may not he may not be sure what the consequences are to to uh, taking Al out like that. What about the consequences of hurting him like that? That's not yeah. going to be good either. I can't see Dan letting this go. <laughs> mm. Stupid he, he may be underestimating what, all this, of them. This whole power struggle thing is stupid either way. Mm. Yeah, but he... It's not going to end well. Most power struggles are stupid. Yeah. He may be both overestimating and underestimating Al at the same time. Underestimating just how how much... How smart Al is, and how 
vengeful he is and how loyal everybody is to him. But also, I mean, if he takes Al out, that leaves a a power vacuum that they're in town. He he hasn't been in town that long. He may not, you know, he may not be willing to find out what a power vacuum like that will do and still be figuring that he can intimidate Al into uh into working for him. It might be fun for him too. Yeah, it might Just be. Seeing watching somebody like Al bend to his will like that mm-hmm. that could bring him pleasure. That's true. And just murdering him doesn't give him might give him immediate thrills, but that's not what he really wants. Yeah. Yeah, he could very well be right. He could really enjoy um making somebody bend to his will, yeah. Because again, to go back to the whole thing about the note, like he he had the guys killed in the gem, then yeah. he sent a note saying that it's going to happen again just so that Al could get the upper hand, but it wasn't really an upper hand because he was warned about it. And it's all just like a tease. Yeah. It's like, see how easily I can make things happen. Mm-hmm. I can make people get killed. I can prevent violence. I can bring more violence. I can smash down walls. There was a second note, wasn't there? What did the second note say? Was that an in- indication? Yeah, that was, that was come to my veranda. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just as an aside as well, how like after going through that where Al kind of loses a finger, you think back to that, I might have missed it, the, that... that um, Ugly, devious smile by the captain just as they all enter Hurst's room from outside the veranda there. Oh, yeah. Really yeah. foreboding. It was, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I hate the captain. Yeah. <laughs> I really don't like him. <laughs> no offense to the actor. <laughs> David Milch writes, In that confrontation with Hurst, Wolcott tries to explain that their impulses, one toward gold, one toward blood, emanate from the same natural place. After Wolcott is dead, we see Hearst begin to embody that violence too. He chops off Swearingen's finger, and he has every Cornish miner who tries to unionize murdered in the camp. It would have been more convenient to have them murdered in the mines. By committing these acts in Deadwood in public, Hearst is saying, I will countenance no infringement upon the exercise of my will. He's also saying, look how powerful I am. I can do anything I want, any time I want. Yeah, he's... Jane would call him Puffy. It... It occurs to, you know, not to bring present day politics into this, but when uh, when Donald Trump said that he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and not lose any votes, Mm -hmm. it's kind of the same, you know, sort of thing. Look what I can do, except this guy's really, you know, does it. There was a recent article about how if you want to understand what's happening in today's political sphere, watch season three of Deadwood. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I'm not going to post it onto the Facebook group because of spoiler purposes, but the parallels are definitely there. Yeah. Which Hearst is this? This is... Um... I guess it's the first one in the line since he said his father had nothing. Right. Um, it's George, right? Yeah, I guess. George. Yeah. And, George. Then, and then William George Randolph. Him. Yeah. William Randolph was his son. Mm-hmm. I'm fairly certain that the real George Hearst does not bear much resemblance to the Hearst that we're seeing in the show. That he's not this much of a asshole <laughs> for lack of a better term. He may or may not have been an awful lot of the guys that, that during that era made a ton of money were not very nice people. They weren't, but I I've read about some like phil, uh, philanthropy that Hearst was involved in. But of course that, you know, there's, there could be a happens. selfish motive for that too. That like mean anything. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, you, that stuff usually happens at the end of their lives. 
you know, it's like they'll, I mean, that like Carnegie and a lot of others, um, a lot of those things happened, like they made all their money and then they started getting older and wanted to be more respectable and, and be accepted into society and all of that stuff. And they became philanthropists and all that good stuff. I mean, I don't know about this guy. I don't know anything about him. I just picked up a book about him. I haven't had time to, to crack it yet. Carnegie Hall was built because uh, they wouldn't, the the uh, power elite of New York City would not accept Carnegie and the Vanderbilts and all the new money um, into the, uh, uh, down on 14th Street, they had all the, the theaters and they had the Academy of Music and stuff. And they couldn't get season tickets, so Carnegie built his own theater up at 57th Street, way out in the country, and uh, was like, to hell with all of you. So the Academy of Music has since been torn down. Carnegie Hall is still there. I just don't think that the real Hearst was qu- quite the nefarious, yeah, evil probably not. villain probably not. that he's yeah. being portrayed as in the in the series. But, you know, it's a dramatic interpretation. It's... Yeah. They're taking license with his character. Yeah. It's always good to have a villain. And it was so long ago that I'm like, who cares? He's long dead. <laughs> Maybe the Hursts. <laughs> yeah, but they have so much money. Who cares? <laughs> who cares about their feelings? Yes. Rich people don't have feelings. We know this to be true. <laughs> Since we're now counting not just assaults to the face, but to any basically any any part of the body above the shoulders. <laughs> We will count the pistol whipping on the back of the head uh, that Captain Turner inflicts upon Al as number three, uh, the third assault of the episode. Lila is standing outside the Bella Union waiting for customers. She's despondent, but Joni takes her hand and says, nothing's over yet, so hang in there, baby. <laughs> Our characters watch Al hobble from the hotel into the thoroughfare. Seth offers to get Hurst, but Al says, absolutely not. He also tells his men, do not touch me. And Hurst watches from above. And that's the ep. Al is one tough son of a bitch. Yeah. He is. He is. Yeah, I had, I had similar notes too. I had, yeah, very, very tough to walk back by himself and um, insisting that no one helps. Mm. Tough and prideful. Yeah. Mm. Well, that pride, you know, it's almost like if he didn't have that, he couldn't stand up to George Hurst. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that he's a tough, I mean, just stand, continuing to stand up to Hurst when he knew that he might kill him right then. It's like having his own place and being having his having some kind of power in that town is more important to him than than staying alive. So we have some predictions in the previous recording. Carol predicted that in Saul's head, he thinks he's not worthy of Trixie because he's not the fine man she takes him for. You guys weren't really literal, like with the title. Like you grabbed onto the title and you try to figure out. You didn't know that it was some rando in the first <laughs> opening wow. moments of the episode. How could we predict? <laughs> every every title of this this series is random. Yeah, yeah. There has been very few that really have anything to do with the story. Mm-hmm. But every now and then there is one, so you know we'll go with it. <laughs> Mel predicted that E. B. beaten and bloody admits that he is not the fine man that he thought he was. Also, a new club forms in town: the Shabby Gentleman's Club. <laughs> That's not untrue. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. There's a lot of shabby gentlemen. (laughs) (laughs) But they don't have formed a club yet. Not that you know of. That's true. 
And Matt predicted that Shaughnessy removes his man suit and reveals himself to be a cockney troll. She <laughs> 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 wasn't even in this episode. No, no Shaughnessy. Good for you, sir. You've you've done well, done better than me. <laughs> cockney troll. <laughs> <laughs> Oi, blimey. <laughs> And for the miscellaneous predictions, uh, assaults to the face of a hand or handheld instrument, well, assaults anywhere above the shoulders, uh, Carol said zero, Matt said two, Nell said six. I'm going to say that there were three. So Matt wins again. So we're going to say, we're going to give it to Matt. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if you want, if you want to say, stick to the original intention of this kind of prediction, it would have been zero and then Carol would have won. So what do you think? Let the guests choose. I really think it uh, should oh. be up to Hazo. <laughs> Wait, should we? Also, I mean, yeah. should we stick to the original prediction or fudge it? Well, I'm not sure. One last one. <laughs> Hasso, I don't know, well, the reason would be to, to change, so I, I'd stick with the original. Um, um, if, if, if zero is a valid guess, then why would you change the original intent? All right. Have to go for Carol. We're going to give it to Carol. Sorry, Matt. Hey, Sorry, Matt. Oh. Hey. <laughs> nice that's try, one, Matthew. That's Worst one for me in three seasons. <laughs> no, you're still great. Thank you, Hasso. No worries. I was just about to say how particularly attractive you're sounding these days, but, uh, you know. <laughs> and the checks in them. <laughs> <laughs> all, all the accolades for no apparent reason at all, I'm sure. <laughs> well, why don't we have him read some feedback? Sounds good. Alrighty. We're going to have you read Harold's feedback. Uh, once again, there was a lot going on in this episode. Some of it was great, but some of it really dragged. The episode is mostly remembered for Hurst's vicious assault on our swear engine, and what stands out the most for me is the utter impunity he has in orchestrating such an attack without any fear whatsoever of, rep- of retribution or arrest. This is a man who can do as he pleases. I can't fault Al for allowing himself to go over to Hurst without a second, who would expect that from a man of her stature? Poor Alma. She may die in childbirth, and Hurst is set on getting control over her claim. Nice campaign speech by E.B. I liked how he kept to the issues and didn't digress like Joe Le- Lieberman or uh, Diane Feinstein. <laughs> if you get my meaning. Um, I Jane don't. Seen... I don't, Harold. Sorry. <laughs> Jane's scene at the school was another highlight. Uh, they got us to feel proud for Jane that she was able to clean herself up for a few hours and say a few words to some children without swearing. On the other hand, I find that my attention drifts when it comes to Joni meandering around, lost in a drift and not sure what she's doing. Sigh complaining about being stuck in his bed, uh, though I liked it when he suddenly felt better and anything to do with Sol and Trixie. I give this 7 out of 10 full moon Johnnies. <laughs> <laughs> It's always hard to find to be interested in characters who are adrift and aimless because you want action. So the absence of that is difficult, even if it's understandable. Okay, uh, let's see. We have some audio feedback from Russell. Hi, guys. It's Russell here. Some uh, feedback for this episode, which I really enjoyed. It's um, great to see the Hearst versus Camp uh, stuff start to ramp up a bit in this episode. and. Um, and I think really, although all shows, I guess, are about change or transformation in some way, this, this episode, I really noticed a lot about change. And uh, you can see the relationship between Seth and Martha changing a little bit. Um, 
a little smile from Seth and his hand goes down towards the butt and then cut to Elmer because we don't want to have any of that funny stuff uh, between them just yet. So, um, yeah, and then I like the tension and the fact that, you know, Dan wants a fight. It reminds me of Han Solo a little bit saying I prefer a straight fight and all this creeping around. And Dan, I think, is a bit like that. He's a bit antsy with all this not really knowing what's going on. And once again, they're all in complete puzzlement while Al is just sussing the situation out, even to the point where um, crosses and on a bit of paper doesn't help Johnny too much. But um, <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, Joni and Sai, much of that is about transformation again and people struggling to be, you know, something new or to find something new. Trixie goes through that and Joni's going through that now, I think to the point where she just, you know, she's struggling in her own skin, as she says uh, later, which was was very sad, but also lovely words from Charlie. And don't think I've ever seen him look so um, uncomfortable holding her hand, although it was a very sweet moment that. But um, same thing with Jane, really. She wants to stop drinking, but can she ever? And um, she does look funny in a, with a watering can. And she did such a great job with the kids that you can see... Uh, the same thing that Sai says when he's talking about Joni, when she's doing the work that she knows how to do, you know, she's sort of, she's okay. She's not feeling down. And um, maybe, maybe there's a teacher in Calamity Jane there that she could, um, she could find some peace with. And Mo has changed his attitude too, which is another change. I guess amazing what a few bullets will do to change your attitude on life. And um, yeah, good fight there with Al close in with the knife. Uh, nothing changes there, I guess. And, um, uh, yeah, it was quite a tense moment for a bit there, but it was, it was very well done, I thought. And is Sai changing? Or it's, if not, it's a brilliant act. And he is a con man after all. But, um, yeah, so a lot of change going on. And, um, yeah, Al is called Albert. Could have been Alan, Alan Swearingen or Alistair Swearingen. There's another couple of options. But anyway, um, he likes his Darjeeling, and I would imagine he's going to feel a bit um, sick after that. Uh, what has happened? I don't know if you noticed the big blood stain on his jacket, and uh, he was sweating pretty bad there. So I'd imagine that was quite painful. And as he said, change ain't looking for friends. Change calls the tune we dance to, which I guess these days we'd say uh, disrupt or be disrupted. So uh, yeah, good stuff, guys. Thanks. I think today we would say. It is what it is. Ugh, this is an expression I hate. <laughs> I think it's an expression just to keep you from having to commit to... An opinion, opinion a philosophy, it. understand anything. It just seems lazy. Yeah. It just is what it is. I can't figure it out, derp. Or... <laughs> or it's more like, or it's more like you just said something I really don't agree with, but I'm just gonna let it go. Yeah. It seems like a lazy man's opinion. It's like saying something without saying anything. I feel like you just say that when you can't change something about a situation. Right. Or it's out of your control. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think it's always referring to something that's lazy. Yeah. Nothing <laughs> you can do about it. Um, there's something else Steve said that I wanted to comment on. I'm trying to think back. Um, I should really write down notes while I'm listening to the feedback. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Because he says, I was like, oh, yeah, that's a good point. And I, you know, and I don't mm -hmm. remember what he said. Mm -hmm. You could always comment about it on Facebook or something. That's true. Yeah. Uh, we've got feedback from Carl. <laughs> it is what it is, Matt. It is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. All right. I've got 
feedback from Carla. I'm going to have Mel read this one. Yes, sir. I love hearing from all these new people. Hmm. Yeah. Where where did our old people go? <laughs> Although, now, Harold, we don't want to forget. Harold's been around with us. Yes. So, love the faithful. You, Thank you, Harold. Like, from the old people and the new people. Or the... Yes. Long-time listeners and the new people. Is mm-hmm. the previous feedbacker's point about uh, Cy feeling, suddenly feeling better again... Is he faking being as sick as he is? I don't know. It took a long time for people to heal back then. They didn't have antibiotics, and they didn't have, you know... He seemed to move around pretty okay. Yeah. Once he got the spirit, he... Yeah. (laughs) Once he got taken over. Anyways. At, At the same time, I mean, it would be advantageous for him to be up and around so that his business wouldn't be failing, too. So... All right, I'll read this feedback. Hey guys, it's from Carla. Hey guys, I really like this second episode of season three. I think it's much better than the premiere because so much more happens and we get to see some real action. First of all, I love Al's new long hair. (laughs) But if he doesn't wash it soon, he might become the Western version of Severus Snape. (laughs) (laughs) Or he might become Lovejoy. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) Shut your mouth. I don't want to see that. Aww. Uh, then the tea talk scene with Martha and Seth. I love Salma profoundly, but it's very nice and sweet to see Bullock getting along, getting along with his little wife, even if it's such a hesitant way. I don't know. It didn't seem hesitant to me. <laughs> they both deserve some happiness. As much as I hate Sai and the fact that Andy couldn't do the proper job of killing him, that talk he had with Joni was one of the more most powerful scenes of the episode. The sincere comparison she makes of him with a diabolical being, and the way he responds to to it, showing his deep hurt of hearing those words said by the one person he really cares about, almost brings me to feel for Sai. Great scene. It was very nice to see Richardson talk about his family while E.B. insulted him. (laughs) He's too good for Deadwood. Too pure. (laughs) So true. So (laughs) Also, despite not having Seth Bullock as part of the decoration, Alma sure has the most gorgeous house in town. (laughs) Another thing that struck me in this episode is the variety of genuine emotions the show can make us feel. The sadness of Alma stating her will to Trixie, the disturbing violence of the usual throat slitting in Al's joint, and the cuteness of Jane talking to the children. These are all juxtaposed moments that don't fail to affect us in different ways, despite the contrast of the tone they possess. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things about the show as a whole, is that it's very funny, then it's very serious, mm-hmm. and then very sweet and very sad. And it, I've, I've a, I struggle with programs that are consistent tone, Yeah, and I, I love how this can take me on a ride. Yeah. Yeah. Also, you have a, a real variety of people that have a, a, that have a lot of different layers to them, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, have they're selfish sometimes and they're altruistic sometimes and they're, you know, and sometimes both at the same time. Well, that's the benefit of having such a large cast. Yeah, that's true. I think it's very sad. Alma couldn't have Seth's child. It would have been the most wonderful baby ever. (laughs) Do you mean, do you mean most attractive baby ever? Because how (laughs) would you know if the baby was wonderful or not? It could have been colicky. <laughs> Chances are it'd be, it'd be a pretty angry baby, I reckon. Probably. 
Probably with Seth's um, just anger issues. It would be full of anger. It's and a baby with anger issues. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be full of anger and it would smell like fruit. <laughs> it would walk very stiffly and have a propensity for narcotics. <laughs> Worst baby ever. <laughs> oh, yeah, it probably that's probably what would have what would have happened though because if she was taking laudanum, like maybe still like a lower dosage, but you know there could have been some ad- addicted addictive baby behavior going on there. <laughs> Finally. Maiming of Al's finger is brutal, and the perfect display of Deadwood style of violence, crude and sudden. I hate Hurst, but to see him as an antagonist for Al is awesome. Dan was very precise when he described their intellectual abilities. Also, I'm very sorry I stole some quotes last time. <laughs> I had completely forgotten you guys did feedback for them. Not gonna happen again. Well, that's you okay. Can't. You're allowed. Yeah. yeah, that's fine. Yeah. We're not going to stop ourselves from complaining either, I guess. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's fine if you want to put quotes in your feedback, but don't you dare put quotes in your feedback. <laughs> anyway, I think this is a great episode, and I give it a 8.5 out of 10. Some creative writing reading I couldn't think of. <laughs> you didn't try very hard, Carla. Thanks very much, Carla. <laughs> but thank you, but thank you, Carla. It should have been five out of ten stolen quotes. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) And lastly, we have feedback from our good friend Will, who's also been with us since the beginning. Yeah. Hey, guys. I am sick, but I watched this episode, and I really, really liked it. First of all, Dan walking through the streets with no shoes on. Gross. Does he always do that? And I've just forgotten that. Uh, it's really weird. Um, yeah, somebody needs to quote that quote about being friendly to change or whatever, and time, whatever. I don't feel like rewinding, but I would like to hear that again. I never uh, noticed how blue EB's eyes are until that one scene with Richardson. Still hate him, though. Um, yeah, the Alma situation was scary. But I did like Jane calling Martha brave. Aww. And at the end, how cool Al played everything, even though he was hurt. But Cy and Dan could see right through it. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. But yeah, all in all, it was a great episode. Um, this episode is like uh, that BJ your partner gives you when you're sick. You're really too tired to do anything else, but... Yeah, your partner's just taking care of you, make you feel better. I gotta go, you guys. I owe $9 to a whore, so I gotta go take care of that <laughs> later. Just don't break your neck. Don't rush. We'll feel better, Will. Yeah, You're really. one of those BJs that make you feel better. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for the feedback, Carla, Harold, Russell, and Will. Thank you. All right, let's, uh, let's do our ratings. What what did you think about this episode, Hasso? Um, well, yeah, I really liked it. It was really really good. Um, it was heavy. Those, um, I think that 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 scene with Al losing a finger at the end that was just a massive impact. So they got very much on tough guys, you know, uh, throughout it as well. Um, and I liked that that um, her uh, sorry the captain and, and Dan kind of eyeing each other out as well. So um, overall, for me, it was a hammer of an episode. Nine out of ten. Okay, nice. All right, um, we'll go to Mel next. I will give this episode 
eight and a half out of ten Chicago style ladies. <laughs> <laughs> you gonna offer any insights as to why that rating? Did you like anything about it in particular? Stand out more? I was, I was very confused by this episode. I know it's a good episode. I enjoyed it. I was confused by it. That's fine. <laughs> but I enjoyed it. Um, I'd like to watch it again <laughs> so that I could understand it better. I don't feel that I'm qualified to talk about it very much. <laughs> we appreciate your honesty. Um, but yeah, good, funny moments, emotional moments. We we talked about it all already, Matt. Yeah, what are we doing? Why are we, why are we wasting our time? <laughs> exactly. Move along, move along. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Matt, can I have your rating, please? Uh, I wasn't confused. I found this to be one of the more easy-to-follow episodes. Shut up. I'm sorry, Mel. <laughs> You were using my phone a few times. I think you got lost when you did No, that. only once. Yeah. And that you stepped away and then I used the phone and then I was confused after. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I didn't have any problems with any of the episode. I, I liked pretty much every scene. I can't think of anything I didn't like. So I'm going to give it a 10 out of 10. Oh, wow. Yep. Wow. That's unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> 10 yeah. out of 10. Lackey swimming behind you. Like ducklings. Oh, Aww. I just want to see all the characters drawn in like animal form. <laughs> nutty. Yeah, yeah, nutty. Oh, nutty. You got to do like. Oh, well, Richardson's <laughs> obviously a shaggy dog. Yeah. yeah. Um, the captain's a, is a sea creature of some sort, a walrus, probably. He, he be's a hyena. Oh yeah. He's mm. a hyena. He's, he's a scavenger. Yeah. Or a vulture. A vulture. Yeah. Mm. No, Flora was the ferret, remember? Oh, that's right. <laughs> EB is, yeah. yeah okay. And of course, uh, you'd have to draw Dan, Johnny, and Silas as different ducklings, like different shaped ducklings. Uh-huh. But then, well, yeah. I was going to say that that would make Al a duck, but it doesn't really because, you know, you can find anywhere on the internet, you can find ducklings just following whoever they, mm-hmm. whatever large creature, you know, they... Happens to get in front of them. I would. I picture Alma as a swan. Mm, nice. Angry? Swans are very angry. <laughs> they, can they can be. They can be dangerous. They're horrible animals. <laughs> Seth might be a mule because he's stubborn. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. A bull? Yeah. We could talk about this for a Bull long moves. time. Bull <laughs> moves. A long time, yeah. We Bull could. Moves. Guys, go on go on the Facebook in this in this thread after this episode is posted. Go on to hooplecast.com, find this episode, click on the discussion link. It'll take you to the Facebook group. Let us know who is what animal. I mean, with a name like Bullock, they've kind of given us the hint of what animal he should be. Mm-hmm. A luck. That's not an animal. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, let's move on. Uh monster. Carol. Yeah. Your rating, please. Um, I like this episode. I, I agree that I liked it a lot better than last time. Um, that two-parter idea, you know, kind of worked for me. That if, you know, that the last one was kind of a lot of intro to what went on in this one. Um, at the end of it, I definitely had this, you know, like, ooh, I wonder what's going to happen. I want to see the next episode. I, you know, I want to see where this is going. 
sort of a thing. So I'm going to go with 8.5 out of 10 really lame political speeches. Mm-hmm. Very good. Uh, I'm surprised I like this one a lot less than the rest of you. Maybe it's because I know what's to come and and there's like teasings of things that I'm excited about. But overall, I uh, as always, I pick on individual moments that I really respond to, like Jane in the schoolhouse entertaining the children and t- saying that Martha's brave, stuff like that. That's very sweet. Is there, is there anything in the episode you didn't like? I didn't like Psy. I don't like Psy at all, really. I mean, nobody but ever I, likes Psy. I know, but I... I Psy and Joni, I agree with Harold that it's very hard to be compelled by somebody who is so adrift. And I'm, I, I liked when she connected with Charlie at the end and brought it back to Wild Bill. But there was a lot of her and the horrors and Leon and, Leon and Khan and all the Bella Union stuff. It's not, it's not where I wanted to spend a lot of my time. So I have to dock it a, a point for that. And, uh, oh, I love, I think my favorite scene is Saul at the window saying to Trixie, hey, I bought the house. It doesn't mean we have to live together. But, oh, it, it's adorable. Uh, I was going to give it an 8, but I just remember that and how much I loved it. So I'm going to bump it up. I'll give it an 8.5. An 8.5 out of 10. Pyromaniacs for Sheriff. Yeah. I was going to give it an 8, but decided to bump it up. You guys convinced me. You talked yeah. me into it. Let's do our character of the episode, Hasso. Uh, my, it's probably a little bit unconventional, but it goes to the underdog EB. Um, I think he, he struggled heroically in the face of adversity, um, and he was victim to that maniac sheriff, heinous crime, uh, heinous attack, so he, he showed a lot of courage in being able to battle through that, adjust his speech, uh, accordingly, and, uh, get back up onto that platform and, and give that speech. So it was, um, vote one for EB Farnham, who's not once, but twice measured. <laughs> yes. All right, Mel. Who's your character? Skip. Skip you for now. Skip. Skip. Pass. All right, Matt. Pass. No. Um. <laughs> I, I'll give it to Saul. I enjoyed watching Saul be happy and excited for his future prospects with Trixie. Good. Me too. Carol. Oh, so hard. So hard. I, I'm going to give it to Al again. And the reason I give it to Al again is because, I mean, I know that part of it is because the show ended with him, but, um, he's just such a tough little bugger. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the way he just kept, he didn't cave or anything. It was just like, and I don't think he's being foolish. I think it's just one of those things that he knows that if he gives in, that's, that's the end for him anyway. For him, but anyway, so I'm gonna go with Al. Okay, Mel, do you want to go, or do you want me to go and then you go last? Go ahead. I should go. Go ahead. Um, you know what i I wish I hadn't have given it to Calamity Jane last time because I would have given it to her this time. So, I, but I'm not gonna do it back to back. So I'm gonna nominate Charlie Utter because. Oh. He gave such a encouraging speech to Joni, and hopefully that's going to put her on the right path. And I really liked when he left the gem saloon, and he's like, uh, I'll come back later. <laughs> and he tells that guy, you know yeah. what, don't go in there right now. 
<laughs> yeah, Charlie so he, so he had a, a really a couple of good moments uh, this episode. So I'm going to say Charlie Utter. All right, Mel, you have to choose now. I think I'll do well. And you're not going to say why. Watch <laughs> 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 the episode at all, really? I mean, <laughs> I'm getting that. I'm getting that. Carol Citadel. I am crashing right now from lack of food. Okay. <laughs> all right. We never got your word of the episode. <laughs> that was your, supposed to be your segment. You were supposed to give us a word to oh. define. A word that we, never we, we did before. say that Chicago style ladies. Not one word, but what does that mean? We talked about it. <laughs> but you got the pass for now. <laughs> all right, all right. We'll we'll count it. I I did write down doogee. Yeah, so I talked I about the doogee, and that means heroin. I didn't write it down. I didn't hear it. So ah, well, you apparently you were on your phone. No, I, Matt's phone. And I was only once for like two minutes, and then I was completely lost. <laughs> All right, let's do quotes. Hasso, go first. Let me have a look. Oh, yeah, we, we kind of touched on it before. It was EB, and this is, I've already got a few few from EB because that's why it was my favorite. It was pretty funny in this episode. Um, this one was, well, you'll know it as soon as I say it. Could you have been born, Richardson, and not egg hatched, as I've always assumed? <laughs> that's a good one just picturing him like gnawing his way out of the egg with, like a little a little buck tooth but how, how patronizing he just he he treats Richardson so badly and that that's the closest um, he comes to giving a compliment I guess <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> the, the fact that he's not egg hatched jeez <laughs> Carol quote sure um let's see Martha I do not make weak tea. <laughs> I just like that. It's like the one thing she's good at, and she gets yeah. called into question. I mean, you could just interpose with, um, how dare you insult me? Yeah, it was just like, it was just such a small thing. It's like, no, I'm standing my ground here. You know, I, I let you get away with all this other stuff, and I've, you know, dealt with all this, but are you... I will not admit to making weak tea. How about a quote, Matt? Uh, I need Mel to do a control F for me. Uh, what are you? What are you looking for? Portrait. Okay. Mel, do you have him tied up again? <laughs> yeah, I've got control of this computer. <laughs> uh, ask the fellow who made them X's if he hires out for portraits. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Mel. Hasso took my quote. Jerk. Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> sure he did. Um, you want to do a quote with me? Yeah. Do you want to be Doc Cochran or do you want to be Trixie? Yeah, whichever. Whatever, whatever you think what I should is she do. Have okay, you be, you be Doc Cochran, I'll be Trixie. Oh, it's right here. Oh, there. I'll be Doc Cochran? Yeah. Want you to be angry? Yes. <laughs> Turn your head away from the cloth and breathe! Shut the fuck up and concentrate. Turn your head away, goddammit! What I'm used to, this is like smelling fucking posies. I would just assume that you not fucking pass out. When you're done with hers, Doc, why don't you fucking kiss mine? <laughs> and scene. <laughs> oh, that was fun. And the thing is, he's absolutely right, but... Hasso, any other quotes? Yeah, another EB one. This is when um, Richardson was looking through the hole and seeing Seth um, en- enter the, the place. And EB has kind of gone from his earlier compliment to, to this 
Do you only feign stupidity while in fact plotting ways to madden me? (laughs) (laughs) Here's a quote from Joni. Start walking, you lousy whore. (laughs) Here's one from El... um, Oh, good grief. I've forgotten his name. Eldridge? Ellsworth? Ellsworth. Thank you. Good grief. My wife wants to see you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was like, ooh, got chilly in here. Huh. Uh, here's an exchange between Silas and Al. You mind if we watch you from the balcony? Not at all. Moment seems to me. Blow me a kiss. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you should have done that. <laughs> I love you, Al. Part of, part of me thought that was a euphemism for, you know, for shoot the guy if, if he pulls on me. But none of them were packing. <laughs> Um, Matt or Mel, any other quotes? I like the random, I'm like looking through the script and I like the random hooplehead quotes from the, when they were doing the speeches. Keep people from shitting in the creek! <laughs> and, uh, no lowered pants in the white woods! <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I had, um, it's kind of like two for Mel that came quickly and that was when, um, Silas was kind of whinging like a, a little kid. And Silas has taken it that one step too far, and then Al says, "You've no idea how fucking badly you're boring me." And then the, the letter comes in, and then he just looks at him really sarcastically, and he just kind of puts on that kind of voice, saying, "Won't you see? Won't you see with me what this might portend?" <laughs> yeah, that was to, hilarious. To Silas. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I hadn't noticed before. I know I was distracted during the scene. And I, w- I didn't pay attention to what they were saying because I was distracted by the paintings in Al's office. I had some sexy paintings in there. <laughs> 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 did, you, did you guys notice? I didn't notice I the sexy know. paintings. No. no, he's got like a lady like spreading her legs. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and he's got like another lady like showing her legs too, like just in a different way. Hold on, I'm bringing it up. Bringing it up. Is it a Chicago style lady? Uh, it could very well be. Um, <laughs> she has pepperoni on her snatch. <laughs> <laughs> pepperoni and cheese. Uh, what? Are you, let's see. What time of the episode? Oh, it was when Silas was it's in like, there. Yeah, probably. It's like right in behind Al's head. Like okay, so Al just left. Al just went down the stairs with his little his tea. Oh, okay, okay. I'm there. Let's see here. Um, Dan and Johnny are. Picking up the uh, the bodies. One of the bodies just farts. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that. <laughs> yeah, there's a lady behind Al, with, and she's got her leg above, like raised above, in a sort of like look at my snatch. Pretty much, yeah. That's uh, I. That'd be a fun portrait to have in your house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose you'd have to. Well, you'd have to either explain it to guests, or you'd just have to. Like just not say anything. <laughs> oh, that. <laughs> just yeah. Oh, of that. Yeah. <laughs> you make up a story like that was my great great grandmother. <laughs> yeah. Or you could just put it in the kids' room. <laughs> Let's see here. I have a quote from Sai. Don't fuck with the fucking deity, Leon. You've got to come to him wholehearted, even when you're asking for partial relief. Oh, Lord, let Leon cut down, Lord, on the motherfucking doogee. Let him cut way the fuck back. Oh, do you hear how I'm coming at him for you, Leon? How I fully fucking supplicate the motherfucker. 
gravy. That was so far gone. <laughs> as much as I don't like Psy, he is very uh, humorous at times with just how melodramatic he can be. This one was mentioned earlier, but the full quote was, if we was trailing water, we might get took for ducklings. <laughs> I like that one. Mm-hmm. Like they that. did kind of look like ducklings. <laughs> and they they got to kind of, because um, they're, they're so big and tough, and they just got to reconcile that somehow, and it's probably not working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And if there are no other quotes, I will end with this one from Al. I've got, I got one. Got one. Oh, good, good, one. go. Um, this one was um, Al when he was up on the veranda. Not throwing my hands up on my skirt over my head don't mean I ain't awestruck. <laughs> yeah. And now I want to see Alan address. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't he? I'm, I'm sure he must have done pantomime or something sometime in a dress. Well, they always make a big deal deal about how English humor is men in dresses. Yeah, well, you know, Milton Berle did pretty well on this side of the Atlantic too. Oh, you guys, you guys do know Milton Berle, right? Only vaguely. Okay. He was he was famous for, among other things, getting up and getting into really elaborate costumes and stuff at times. Drag. But. Carol, you had another quote? Yeah, I wonder if it's the same one you have. I don't know. Um, Al, at the very, very end, I'm having mine served cold. Yes. Yeah. And I hope he does. Yeah, I do too. I want to see it happen. Except, don't we know that... He's never going to kill that guy, because that guy has to have a son still. Unless he already does. Well, he can't kill Hurst, because Hurst has got to live, but there's a lot of things he can do for revenge on him without killing him. Well, I mean, the way that... His empire away, because we know the guy, you know, has an empire, but... This show is just an interpretation of history. It could very well deviate, especially in his third season. Yeah. And, uh, yes, at this time, Hurst does have a son. I'm fairly certain. He already had a little William Randolph. Ah. Well, in two weeks, we will return with episode 27, True Colors. True Colors. Isn't that a Cindy Lauper song? Yeah, I was thinking that myself. Uh, Cindy Lauper's going to show up with a pole camera from the future. (laughs) (laughs) She's going to take pictures of everybody. Mm -hmm. Um... To show them their true colors. <laughs> nice. I like it. <laughs> Matt? Everybody's actually purple people eaters. Oh. Uh, everybody, everybody is purple. And Cindy Lauper will be there to prove it to them. Yeah. <laughs> she exposes she a, a body snatcher scenario. <laughs> she, has, she has x-ray specs that let her see everyone's true colors. And, and you mean a Polaroid cam that lets you see oh, okay. your, yes. their true colors? No, um, so, serious prediction, um, true colors, I guess that'll mean that somebody is gonna change, or, or, uh, drop a facade of what they're actually like, so who would that be? Hmm. I feel we know everyone, uh, right. uh, um, sorry, Andy, Andy Crane comes to finish the job, he's not actually a preacher, (laughs) I don't know. Okay. Carol, what's your (laughs) prediction for true colors? Well, going on the idea that the title will actually have something to do with the episode, mm. uh, which isn't usually the case, but let's go with it anyway. Um, it could be a multi-layered thing where you've got 
because they keep talking about the color being the gold. Um, so both talking about, um, the, the mining that's going on there, um, Hearst's whole obsession with the color. And so maybe it'll reveal some more of Hearst's true personality and, and have to do with the mining and the miners and maybe some other people's, um, what they're really like. But I agree that we kind of know who these people are. It's not like there's going to be a huge revelation, probably. But, hey, maybe we'll find out something very new and different about somebody. Okay. Who knows? Well, you know what? This is a minor spoiler, but there may be one or two new characters showing up next episode. In which case, we'll get to know that person or persons. So for a miscellaneous prediction, why don't you predict how many new characters we may meet? Two. No, I was going to take two. Too slow. I also say two. You can say, you can have the same prediction. Matt and Mel say Matt. Sorry, Matt and Carol say two. Yeah. Mel, what say you? Three. Fantastic. Now, in one of the transcripts for True Colors that I found, it said that this had an alternate title, but I couldn't substantiate this. But the alternate title, and see if this helps you with your prediction, is "Clatter Them Sparrows." Clatter them sparrows? Mm-hmm. Does that help you? Nope. No. No, I didn't think it would. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice one, Matt. Yeah, very, very uh, to the point there. <laughs> clatter them Clatter them sparrows. I don't know Mel's what clatter would mean in so, that. So they used their random word generator in attempting that title, then they thought they'd need to get something that's a bit more relevant. Yeah, but I really like that. <laughs> I, I, I wish that was the title, though. C-L-A-T-T-E-R? Clatter. D-L-A-T-T-E-R? Yeah, I guess. Okay. All right. Well, we will see you in two weeks for episode 27, True Colors. We're going to be singing that all week. You know that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm already singing it. (laughs) Can I hear it? Can I give me... Do you want to hear it? Yeah. Yeah. Let me hear some True Colors. No, that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Coward. Maybe they'll overlay the, the intro um, for, that, for one episode for one episode only. So instead of the traditional, you know, twang of the guitar, you got Cindy. Want to do a duet? Want to do a duet, Matt? Um, <laughs> I don't. Other than the like the chorus, like the first line of the chorus, I don't know that song. Not really. You could do a quartet. That's that's all I know too. Okay, we'll practice it for next week. <laughs> from two weeks from now. Hasso, thanks for joining us. Yes, today. Also, thank you. Thanks, guys. It's been great. Do you have any? Really, really enjoyed it. Do you have any projects or podcasts or anything you want to plug, promote? Uh, not at all. No. No. <laughs> no. What's your cricket team called? Does it have a name? Yes. Yes. We the um the Campbelltown Magpies. Oh, I like that. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Campbelltown Magpies. <laughs> In any case, uh, go look up the Campbelltown Magpies Cricket Club. <laughs> oh yeah, look us up on uh, hoopocast.com. <laughs> Find us online at hoopocast.com. Send feedback to hoopocast at gmail.com. We're also on iTunes. We're on Facebook, Twitter, the usual places. All right, goodbye. Fuck you. Fuck <laughs> <Love> you. <laughs> this is a little quick. <laughs> <laughs> After you go, I can catch up on my reading 
After you go, I'll have a lot more time for sleeping. And when you're gone, looks like things are gonna be a lot easier. Life will be a breezier. I really should be glad, but I'm bluer than blue. I'm sadder than sad. You're the only light this empty room has ever had. Life without you is gonna be bluer than blue. After you go, I'll have a lot more room in my closet. After you go, I'll stay out all night long if I feel like it. And when you're gone, I can run through the house screaming. No one will ever hear me. I really should be glad, but I'm bluer than blue, sadder than sad. You're the only light. This empty room has ever had. Life without you is gonna be. I don't have to miss no TV shows. I can start my whole life over. Change the numbers on my telephone, but the nights will sure be colder. And I'm bluer than blue. I'm sadder than sad. You're the only light this empty room has ever had. Life without you is gonna be bluer than blue. Right. Hello. Hi. Hey. Hey. You're very soft as well. Oh well, I'm, I'm leaning away. Am I good now? Yes. The last call, everybody was like at different audio levels, and it was very irritating having to uh, fix all that. Oh yeah, I would imagine. How's everyone doing? So, have we decided whether it's Hasso or Hassan? Uh, I'm gonna say Hasso. Yeah, that's fine, guys. No worries. Hey, Matt. Hey, Mel. Good to see you guys. Oh, speak to you guys live. <laughs> yeah. Mel so is not here at the moment. Okay, so it's like um, seven a.m. in Australia. It is. It, it's a. It's an autumn morning here in uh, Australia, and um, right. It's just, the first we just day. Have the weather. Um. Well, it, it's. It feels like it because it's just only recently changed the weather. It's been really warm up until this weekend, so um, it's a welcomed cool change. That's for sure. But isn't it? Isn't uh, it the equinox there? Oh, you would be close to it. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it should be. It should have been. I think your equinox and our equinox are the same, which is twelve thirty-five apparently this morning a.m. Oh, there you go. Here, <laughs> so it would have been. Oh, I don't know what day. What date is it there? We're twenty-first. We're the twenty-first. Oh, okay, so it was yesterday for you, or mm. maybe it's today. It has to be today because the sun is always the same. So it's just yeah. that your equinox is on the twenty-first, yep, and yep. it's on the twentieth. <laughs> 
<laughs> Who even knows? Well, we were just talking about it this morning because mm-hmm. we had a whole thing at uh, Fellowship I go to about it was about the vernal equinox and about traditions around the world having to do with uh, what brought on like a lot of the Easter traditions and stuff are from the original pagan traditions and and indigenous people's traditions from around the world. And so we were talking about vernal equinox, which is, for us, it's a vernal equinox. Okay. For Australia, it's the autumnal equinox. Mm. How's the uh, cricket going? Oh, it's all done. <laughs> all, all done and dusted. Wow. It's, um, the, the season's over, so, um, oh, yeah, okay. we, we, we had fun, uh, while it lasted and got to the grand final, but didn't, didn't get over the line, but it was a good, good season overall. What oh. is the cricket season there? Um, it would go from about October to um, February with the finals in, in the first week of March. Oh, okay. So, yeah, out in the, sometimes you'd have, um, you know, 40 degrees or 38 degree heat. Uh, that's yeah. um, Celsius. So, yeah, get get quite warm out there. Yeah. I probably mentioned this before, but I did my third year of university in Australia. Oh, did you? Yeah, oh, and I I wanted to go to a cricket game or do a footy game or rugby game. Nobody nobody wanted to go. Nobody would ever oh, take me. It's like, oh, well, okay then. That's strange. Yeah, I wonder how that how that worked out. <laughs> <laughs> what no, were you they just wanted to, they just wanted to drink or get high. That's all yeah, they yeah. wanted to do. What were you majoring in? Maybe you just didn't have enough jocks around you. Um, that could have been um, communications, but. And, and art and, and English, but that's not what, I mean, it was a big school. Well, it wasn't a big school, I don't think, but I don't know. Just the Australians in my apartment complex in my dorms were not interested in going at all. But not, not, not the sporty bunch, obviously. Yeah, they weren't. So they were, I guess they start, I don't know. They were, they were very young. That's part of the, the issue. It was my third year of university. It was, it was like their first year. So and and two years when you're younger, it's a big difference. Like they they had different interests. And you never know. I mean, and they might have been all over it too. Especially if you're growing up and you've 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 been you know dragged along with family and everything. They they've seen it uh, maybe a million times, or they're just not not into it at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of times it's it's one of those deals where anything that's local, you kind of are like, oh, it's no big deal. I don't want to do that. But uh, on the other hand, if you take the opportunity when there's you know when you have to show out-of-town relatives and stuff, things, it, you can see things in a different way, but... Well, yeah, I mean, like, if if uh, it, somebody came here and said, oh, I want to go to see a baseball game, I'd, oh, God, really? Okay, let's go. <laughs> like, I'll yeah. take you, but uh, I wouldn't, would not, I would not have suggested it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I wouldn't have suggested it either. I must admit, when people have come here, I'm I'm near New York City, just, and when people come here from, you know, my relatives from St. Louis, the middle of the country and stuff, it's like, oh, it's July, let's go to the Statue of Liberty. And it's, it's really hot in, when the Statue <laughs> of Liberty is open, it is really hot inside that metal statue. Yeah. As you climb up the, the winding staircase, one, very, very slowly because you're in a line that extends out to wherever. So I must admit, there are things that I must, that when people say, oh, we need to go to the Statue of Liberty, it's like, can we wait for more gay, please? We're ready. Hi, Mo. Hi. <laughs> um, I guess we're ready. Yeah, sorry for the wait. That's okay. We chatted. Okay. 
Um, get this up. Uh huh. So, have you been to the United States, by the way? Uh no, I haven't. Oh, okay. No. Um, we've got kind of relatives over in in Europe in a, in a few places, and um, yeah, we travelled with my wife a few years ago to um, you know, England, Cyprus, Turkey, those those places. But yeah, haven't made made the jump over that way. Yeah, you should definitely come before it all goes to hell. <laughs> <laughs> you have you have like four months. I say four to five months. Oh, <laughs> four to five months, really? I don't know. Oh well, you have until January. Yeah, I was gonna say till. You January. have until January. Uh, it depends on no. We'll have it. <laughs> so I guess we'll be, we'll be seeing you soon then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just want to let you know that um, most of the West is not like Deadwood at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Understood. I would love. I'm, I'm to sure. Go. I'm sure common sense. Well, then again, I, I, I hope. I'm sure common sense will prevail in some form. <laughs> Let's hope so. I don't think admittedly, so. <laughs> admittedly, right now there are people who are trying to make it into this Deadwood again. Yes, that's true. Uh, and, and I would love to take a vacation to Deadwood, South Dakota. It was cool when I went there. I really, I really want to go. I think, um, I think all of our listeners should kickstart that, and they should. They should pay for me to go. <laughs> <laughs> I should Patreon your way there. Yes. What a humble gesture. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. All right. Are we ready then? Yes. yes. Well, in two weeks, we will return with episode 27, True Colors. True Colors. Isn't that um, a Cindy Lauper song? <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that myself. But it's like- <laughs> oh, that was, a, that was a song originally... You are so, like, uh, garbly. Say that again. Mel, move. (laughs) Stop it! You just pushed me out of the way! Fuck out of the way, lady. Oh, you got... You got untied? Okay. Say again, please. Not a song originally quoted... You are still uh, garbly. Disconnect and reconnect. Disconnect and reconnect. I I demand you you leave the call and come back. Okay. I, to answer his question, I'm pretty sure she uh, did the song and then it was used for Kodak, but maybe not. No. Worse. If anything, worse. What? Are you downloading anything at the moment? Hmm. No. Is it raining there? <laughs> What's... Oh, you no. sound a little better right then. Yes. Did yes, I? it's gone now. Just a momentary uh, internet thing. Hey. No, it's oh, it's back. Uh, yeah, we, it's <laughs> back. This is, thanks for giving me the outtakes, guys. All this junk. This is where it goes. It goes at the end, where people can see the seams of how the podcast is made. Where I get a- everything's falling apart. We're falling out of our corset. <laughs> um, you sound fine right now. Quickly, uh, give me your predictions on True Colors, Mel. Mel, what say you? Mel disappeared. I don't know where she went. She might be oh, using the washroom okay. or something. But your sound yeah, is good that's now, so... Unfortunate. Oh, it was all maybe, her. Maybe Mel was carrying some kind of radioactive something. <laughs> I think that's it. Yeah. Yes, yes. We're the, um, the Campbelltown magpies. I fucking hate magpies. I was attacked by... I was attacked by one in Australia. You must have yeah, done... You know, you know they have facial recognition like in terms of that they actually pick out the people they want to um, take out, so they they can see certain faces, and some of them they might like, and they won't decide to um, swoop. But others, <laughs> they might just see a certain type of person and say, "I don't like." Oh this wow! Guy. Oh wow! It's personal. You know huh? what? Quite, yeah. 
You know what happened though? What happened? You you were probably close to like a baby's nest. Oh yeah. Were you high? Were you holding holding anything shiny? Okay, so. Oh, you, you, you get a couple of weeks every every year, so it'd be I think in September, so it'd be maybe mid September, early October, where the you know they all got their hatchlings and so on. And if you're pretty close by, there's more chance that you'd be swooped. Yeah, well, sure. I was crossing a field. I just seen a movie, and I was going across this field, and something went right into the side of my head, and I had thought that somebody <laughs> kicked like a ball or something, right? Like right at you know a soccer well, ball right at my head or something. And I looked around, I didn't see anybody in the field, but on this fence was a bird. Later on, I found out it was a magpie. So it actually connected. So it, it went right, it flew right into my head. And then it just came after me. It started diving at me, and it chased me into a trailer park or a caravan wow. park. And, uh, That's yeah. And then about a week later, it was, uh, on the television, there was a commercial saying, you know, Watch out for magpie mating season. Watch out for the dive at you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for that. And I was like, oh, well, I could She's have appreciated that uh, bit of warning a couple of days yeah. earlier, but it wouldn't have mattered, obviously. It, I wouldn't have been watching for well, it. Yeah, it can be quite, it can be pretty dangerous. And um, you get the, the cyclists wear more and more elaborate um, helmets to keep them away. So they'll, they'll have all these kind of um, plastic kind of spikes and so on on top of their helmets. So. Wow. The wow. magpies won't want to attack them. It was in the news recently where, uh, um, I, I don't know if it was a magpie or some similar type of bird, but it was attacking uh, politicians on Parliament Hill in Canada. Like, there was actual video of, like, a bird swooping down and, like, attacking people, like, picking at their hair and stuff. <laughs> like, I, I like all these fancy business politician people. Just... I hate Trudeau and his liberals. Do <laughs> <laughs> those in the U.S.? We really need a couple right now. <laughs> <laughs> send our magpies. Send, send out the flock of magpies. <laughs> I'd never heard that about magpies. Because, I mean, here we've got we've got birds that'll attack, you know, cats, and they'll swoop down on cat Like, mockingbirds and stuff will swoop down on cats. There were a couple that used to terrorize my cats in my parents' yard. Um, and crows will attack, like, um, hawks and and eagles and stuff to keep them out, keep them away. But uh, hadn't had any attacking people. You think that's where Hitchcock got his? For ideas? the birds, maybe yeah. magpies. I just posted the article in the Skype chat. Uh, in any case, uh, go <laughs> look up the Campbelltown <laughs> Magpies Cricket Club. <laughs> Find us online at hooplecast.com. Send feedback to hooplecast at gmail.com. We're also on iTunes. We're on Facebook, Twitter, the usual places. All right. Goodbye. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> this is a long question. <laughs> and that bird, if it could talk, says fuck you. You know what? Fuck that bird, because I didn't even know it was there. Like, I care about your magpie, little magpie chicks. <laughs> He's like, stay away from my nest. Like, I didn't even know about your nest, but now I kind of want to go find it and kill all of you. That's all. <laughs> have the opposite effect. They will remember your face too. So even if you go the next time, they go, "There's that guy from you know a few years ago." Oh man, I, I will never go back to Lismore, <laughs> dumpy town that was. <laughs> Sorry, people from Lismore. Yeah, yeah, I much prefer the ones that uh, pretend they've got a broken wing to get you away from their nest. I like that much That's better. That's it. Alrighty. 
It's magpie breeding season and unfortunately that also means it's swooping season. Experts say it's all about taking a common sense approach to minimise your chances of attack from above. Our black and white friends tend to get a bit testy around breeding time. Trish found that out the hard way. She copped a peck under the eye and not the good kind either. Did that hurt getting swooped under yes, the eye? Yes, yes. Blood. Oh. Yeah. Swooping season is upon us and it's all about being aware. Male magpies are the culprits and the bulk of attacks occur in the immediate vicinity of the nest tree. Yeah, well, they're just having a swoop. Uh, they're just saying, hang on, um, you're coming too close to me young. Uh, just be mindful of that. If you're comfortable enough in your own skin, maybe try deterring them with a new rage in helmet fashion. I've seen people with the funny things on there. They're meant to scare them away, but I don't know how, how good they work. This young lady says it's all about timing your walks and rides. What's, what's scary about a magpie? Um, because, um, because they have really large beaks and sometimes they fright people in the dark because it's really dark. The self-professed birdman says the best line of defence is common sense. Just be smart about it. Sunglasses, even a cap. If you get a crack on the head, it's not going to break the skin with a cap on. For more information on how to be magpie smart this swooping season, visit ehp.qld.gov.au. Stay safe, keep alert and listen for that telltale warning. If you hear that, watch out. That was incredible. Thank you. Tom Cooper, Win News. How clever is he? Absolutely. What I... bird calls do you know? Uh, not too many, unfortunately. Uh, I can do a kookaburra, but that's for another time.